When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Chris Mookie-Gana-Harrington, joined by my North by Northeast by Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how was your match? Oh, I wrestled yesterday. Today Sunday. I wrestled Saturday at a, a every time I die slash wrestling show. Uh, every time I die is a, is a I don't know what you call them, a hardcore band, or, and they, they're originally from North Tonawanda actually, and they run this Christmas show every year. They ran this Christmas show at, at the Riverworks facility, which is where Ring of Honor ran recently. So it was a, a half wrestling show, a half concert. It was wrestling in the afternoon, and then loud music in, in the evening. And uh, we they included uh, and and the poster the poster for the show barely mentions every time I die like it's just in the corner there and kind of promotes everybody else and the wrestling show I don't know if that was just the wrestling version of the poster but like they kind of underplayed their involvement well I I think I think there's multiple graphics out there maybe there's another one that lists the, the musical acts more prominently but uh, there's Andy Williams who's a the guitarist and every time I die he's a huge wrestling fan if you look at the uh, Maybe some past bolas from PWG. You can see him there in the crowd, and he's been training uh, for the last couple of years uh, to be a pro wrestler. And he's big and jacked and full of tattoos and everything. He looks like a pro wrestler. So this was his first time wrestling in his hometown in the Buffalo area, and he was so he wrestled. Over. He actually wrestled. Yeah, he he he, uh, he was in a tag team match, and like the biggest pop of the night was him hitting a shoulder tackle on people and stuff. It was very over. But like he, he they brought in names. Like he's friends with a lot of people in wrestling. He had names like. Uh, Tim Thatcher wrestled Josh Barnett, uh, Joey Janela, and Sammy Callahan were on the show. And uh, Braxton Sutter slash Pepper Parks is is a good friend of, of Andy's, and, and he was he wrestled Sammy in the, in the main event. And, uh, and, they, and Pepper Pepper's also a local guy. He is, originally he's, he's 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 from Buffalo, yeah, and he's living in Buffalo now. He's he's wrestling for Impact now. Um, and they they included uh, it was kind of a, a thing to help put over uh, ESW Empire State Wrestling, which is a local promotion here, and uh, Grapplers Anonymous, which is the school that I'm involved with here. 
So we got like a, a feature eight-man tag with eight, an eight-man tag just full of our students, and I was in that. And uh, it went really well. We've got this, uh, this new guy named Puff who's a big guy, and he got super over, just super over. He did a he did a dive. They compelled him to. There was a, you know of course there's like an eight man tag, and then they we do this spot where all dive after dive after dive, and they all compelled him to dive, and then finally he dove, and it was probably the biggest pop of our match. Is is he a larger feller? He's a larger feller, yeah. He's he's lost some weight though since he's, he came to train with us though. He's working really hard, you know. He's a you can tell like when some people are mentally into it or mentally suited for wrestling. And if they want to work hard for it, and they're willing to stick around, and but Puff, he uh, he came to us. He had a little bit of training before he came to us, and he came to us and he did our tryout, and he made it through it. He didn't quit, and uh, we wouldn't let him get in the ring for a while. And then uh, he's just he kept coming, even though he wasn't getting in the ring. He just came there to work out and use our equipment, and and uh, then he had a practice match actually uh, for a, a seminar that Ethan Page was doing, and it had a great match. And he's been getting in the ring ever since, and he's been having. More and more matches in the area. He's getting some recognition. I think he's worked some spots in Smash Wrestling in Toronto. And he's just a, I don't know what it is about him. He's just instantly over everywhere he goes. He's a good, good kid, too. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Like, I remember when I was wrestling, that was the only motivation I've ever had to work out in my life. Was because <laughs> yeah. otherwise I I don't usually see the point because I'm yeah. just like, especially for improv. I think about occasionally that Occasionally I don't want to be winded on improv stage or nothing, but. It's just yeah. not that important to be yeah. in great physical shape. I, I think about that all the time when I'm working out. I'm like, if I, if I wasn't wrestling, would I have any motivation to work out? You know, there's people who love to run. There's people that love to work out. There's yeah. people that love to do these things. So I'm, I, don't, I don't begrudge them for having that interest. I've just acknowledged over my life that it does not bring me much joy. Yeah, It's an interesting trade-off. It's like you've you got to be a wrestler. And that gives me the motivation to work out. But it also maybe puts me at risk for CTE. So it's an interesting trade-off there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had so much news happening this past week here. Did you win your match? Uh, no, we lost. <sighs> Failure. Uh, but did you win your Super Smash Brothers match? Oh, we actually so – Super Smash Brothers, I guess, had car trouble, and we ended up wrestling <laughs> – yeah, <laughs> you didn't tell me that. You told me did, you did won, but you didn't tell me that it changed opponents. Oh, really? I didn't. Did we not talk about this last? Oh, I, I think gosh. we recorded before. But anyway, uh, Mo- Monster Mafia ended up filling in. That's Ethan Page and Josh Alexander, and uh, we they put us on last, and yeah, it was a good match. We were all happy with it, and it's a good time. Yeah, yeah. And we, you we, won. We won over. Yeah, you won in the main event. So you're yeah. uh, you're now officially the kings of Toronto. Of Hamilton, Ontario, at least. Ooh, Hamilton, yeah. yes. Yeah, missed, missed the Kamahi Straw Cradle in one, two, three. I love a long match, Cheryl. Um, yeah, tons of news this past week here. It was kind of like a um, a fire hose by the end of it. Uh, we had the fact that you were nominated for a Sheedy Award once again this year. Oh, yeah. I'd probably say that's the top news of the year. Um, we had all these um, rumors about Vince McMahon and football. We had uh, the Disney Fox deal. We had WWE making a deal with Facebook. We had net neutrality. We had um, JP Morgan writing all about WWE. We had the WWE stock continuing to be super strong. We had uh, a little bit of WrestleNomics analysis about attendance that uh, we started to work on and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Have you been able to keep up with all of it? Probably not, but we're going to do our best here. Yeah, so while you were away yesterday, yesterday was kind of the um, 
the special day just for Alpha Entertainment stories. Uh, what, kind what, of between Friday night. Too. Yeah. So maybe maybe you can – because I'm going to have a lot to say on this. So why don't I let you kind of lead off the stories as you understand them. Can you kind of put the timeline in place uh, doing the best to credit the people that broke these stories about what was happening and the rumors? Well, I came home yesterday and I, I turned on the, the tweet deck and I found – people talking about the xfl i think well, why are we talking about the xfl they, they already did the 30 for 30 why are we bringing this up again so i guess uh, vince mcmahon is looking at doing a football league again and he's started this uh, company this is an llc is that right called alpha entertainment and if vince mcmahon were ever to start up a new company that's what he would name it isn't it alpha entertainment because that's that's very in line with what i perceive as being vince mcmahon's view on life is that there's alphas in the world who rule and, and what do they do? They, they entertain people. They just captivate people with their raw, pure entertainment. But Yeah. So, so we had Brad Shepard, who is a, a, a journalist and blogger, and he tweeted out, Vince McMahon is looking to bring back the XFL and may announce it on January 25th, 2018. So uh, props to Brad in the sense that he made a bold, clear claim, right? A lot of times on Twitter, we like to make these kind of half-ass claims where we, we hedge. I'm hearing rumors that perhaps there's some interest in this. And it's like, you know, I'm hearing rumors that so-and-so might be coming back to the Fed in the 90s. Or, or the cryptic, uh, you know, I've got a secret. I know something that you don't. Whoa, can't believe that this slid into my DMs. Big news. Um, yeah, big news here. If this is true. Uh, so, so Brad made that very bold claim, and uh, Bix started following up on it. David Bixenspan, uh, who writes for Deadspin and for Fightful, and he basically went to WWE and said, "Can you say something about whether or not, confirm or deny, there's an XFL revival coming?" And what they instead sent him was, "Quote: Vince McMahon has established and is personally funding a separate entity from WWE." Alpha Entertainment to explore investment opportunities across the sports and entertainment landscapes, including professional football. Mr. McMahon has nothing further to announce at this time, was the full quote. So uh, a lot of little bombshells there. The first one being that it's a Vince-funded company. Second one being that the words sports and entertainment were used, but football was specifically called out. Um, third, that not a denial. You know, definitely not a this is not true. This is not happening. Uh, fourth, the fact it was an XFL question that prompted this uh, led a lot of people to say, well, they didn't explicitly say this is not going to be the XS XFL or they didn't anyway dis distance themselves really from that as much as they just kind of made it vague. And then Vince has nothing further to uh, announce at this time, uh, making it clear that, you know, this is probably not necessarily a story that was meant to break in this fashion and at this time yeah. uh, it's not something that they're pushing and then the personal funding being that it's a separate thing from wwe which we'll get back to in a moment which is really important i think uh cannot be overplayed how how big it is the fact that they also called out alpha entertainment but they did not call out some of the other things for instance wrestlingnews.co figured out that there's another company called vkm ventures wonder where that name could have come from uh, VKM Ventures, which is also a Delaware uh, incorporated uh, entity that had applied for some trademarks. And then there's this Alpha Entertainment LLC, which was a Delaware uh, incorporated company that was formed in early September 2017. Um, and so the Alpha Entertainment LLC, not to be confused with Alpha Entertainment Inc. or Alpha Entertainment LLC of other states, which I've also come across. So those are different companies. Um, yes, yes. There's one that's like a voice 
overacting company run by uh, an AMA talent agent named Mark Gauss uh, or Gus and um, does not appear to have anything to do with this Vince McMahon thing. But he was kind of like a high profile talent agent and doing all this stuff. So for a little while, I went down that route of thinking maybe this is related to it until I just found this one that was straight up called Alpha Entertainment LLC was incorporated in Delaware. Some people ask me why Delaware? Why not in other state? Well, if you go to the Wikipedia page about why people incorporate in Delaware, there's a lot of good reasons. More than I think 50% or 60% of all companies and corporations in the U.S. incorporate in Delaware. And a lot of it just has to do with the law because there's an enormous amount of law that's been built around corporations there. And the way that even lawsuits and things that deal with corporations are resolved go to judges instead of juries and things like that nature. So it, it's very beneficial because there's both a lot of case law, there's a lot of history, and it's um, very tax-friendly, I believe, for the way corporations want to work. So there's just a lot of reasons. Even WWE is incorporated in Delaware. Technically, yeah. they're they, – they're, Located in Connecticut, but they're incorporated in Delaware. I, th- I think we see that on every one of the financial documents. Is yeah, WWE is a Delaware company. So Alpha Entertainment LLC registered for two trademarks. Um, one is called URFL, and the other is called URFL. <laughs> the difference between the two being the lowercase R. And um, I could read you all the classes and goods that it's uh, registered for, but it would probably take the rest of the podcast. It is quite a wall of text here in our document yeah it's probably a hundred and so this this is like they're 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 saying that we we want a trademark to do any of these things yeah essentially i mean there's classes and goods of services that are much like more specific like you you apply for a class one or a class three or class five but then this is kind of saying here's all the ways that we might use the items that are in that class and when you read through this, it's everything from jewelry, watches, clocks, commemorative coins, down to footwear, sneakers, uh, underwear, souvenir programs, precious metals, uh, keychains. And then you get the down. The first items mentioned are football related. Yes. And then later, in the beginning and at the end of it, it's online retail store and mail order catalog. But then you get to things like. Uh, providing a multi-user access of a global computer information network for the purposes of participating in interactive polling in the field of football. Or another one saying a website featuring sports news and entertainment news, entertainment services in the nature of a fantasy football game. Uh, The very first one is downloadable software in the nature of mobile applications for displaying information related to football exhibitions, football schedules, media guides, audio and visual recordings related to football, football helmets, cell phone covers. You know, so it's it's everything from the merchandising to the service itself to the information about the service to the application. And I think it's very general and broad in the sense that it's, you know – could be any one of these things they decide to kind of drill into and say this is what it's going to be. But when you read this, the word football comes up over and over and over again. Uh, URFL doesn't have a pronunciation guide for it, though a lot of people have suggested it's your football league. Yeah. So it's it's not theirs league. It's yeah. your league, pal. <laughs> what, what is the significance of the R, though? So it, it's not actually an acronym then. But, but then I see it uh, over here. You've got VKM uh, Ventures Inc. applied for UFL, United Football League. Yes, and UFL, United Football League, and my third one, my favorite one, For the Love of Football. Um, And the UFL is interesting because apparently – and and of course not being a sports nut, I don't know much of this. But Mark Cuban had a UFL, which was kind of a feeder league uh, called UFL at one point. 
uh, back in like 20, 2009 through like 2011, which folded. And so a lot of people saying, well, can they get the UFL trademark? And, and the reality is all those old UFL trademarks are dead. They're, they, um, they're no longer in, in active. So yes, you can apply for those. However, there is a different company that applied for UFL as a name. And that of course is the urban fitness league. Um, and, uh, the urban fitness league, it sounds like a Vince idea. Actually, it's like a bodybuilding competition fitness league, uh, with weightlifting and bodybuilding and whatnot. And so they applied for the letter That's for the trade, isn't it? <laughs> well, they applied for the UFL trademark back in January. So it would predate the, uh, United football league, uh, trademark UFL letters. And of course, UFL.com goes to uh, the university of Florida in Gainesville, uh, URFL does not go to um, a working website beyond just kind of a domain sitter, which says for $24,000 you can buy this. So if uh, anyone out there is a venture capitalist and really thinks this is going somewhere, spend that twenty four grand now and resell it to Vince for fifty k uh, in a year. And hey, you'll double your money, right? There you go. But um, it's it's almost all of these trademarks are using the exact same set of terms, this enormously long list of terms that I've listed here. And um, what's intriguing is you can definitely see that this is a Vince uh, related project because of the IP lawyer they used Christopher uh, Verdindi. He is a uh, K&L Gates, which is the Pennsylvania firm that Jerry McDivitt works at. He's an IP lawyer. He's worked on other WWE lawsuits, specifically around things like when they were suing, suing the guy who called himself Dale, Go- uh, uh, Dale Gogner, who had AWA stuff he was doing when they were suing uh, – you know, Doug Summers was suing them over kind of footage rights stuff. When they do their bootlegging lawsuit for WrestleMania every year – all that stuff, he's been the lawyer that's been used by them. So I'm not surprised to see that he would be the lawyer used. I'm also not surprised to see it's not the WWE lawyer because this is not a WWE function. This is a private company, as we've been told, a separate entity from WWE that is making these claims and doing this that Vince McMahon is is somehow a funder of. So, Has Vince ever started a separate company, separate from WF? Like, Was the XFL a separate company? Was the WBF a separate company? I believe XFL was a LLC subsidiary of WWE. If I'm, oh no, I think it was more like tap out. It was a joint venture between NBC. NBC. Yeah. yeah, but it it was it was showed up on the WWE's um, you know uh, annual financials the way tap out does because it was a joint venture that WWE was investing in, not that Vince was investing in. Um, and, there and, is and this way it just comes to mind. And this way, whatever happens with this company isn't going to affect WWE and this the. the Investors don't have to worry about it, I guess. Well, I think that's a little bold. I think I think it's it should not, you know, directly infect it. I think one thing I want to talk about here as we get down a little ways is what's the difference between these two companies and what would be the due diligence to have a difference between these two companies? Because I don't think in the minds of investors they are going to be separated. And I, I think that's going to be a real problem as we get a little bit further down the story. Um has there been other companies that he's funded? Sure. There have been other um, uh, small companies that I believe they've done before. Specifically, uh, Linda McMahon had kind of her like women in leadership uh, council that she had. And she had one that was I think called McMahon Ventures or something like that, which was kind of like her own little consulting or entrepreneurial services firm that she did. And uh, there's 
Event Services Inc., but I think that's just a division of WWE that puts on all the WWE live events. There's all the film companies that have, of course, been formed. I'm trying to think if I can think of a straight-up Vince McMahon separate company. WBF is a bad example just because it predates um, when WWE was a publicly traded company. So I don't really know if I would say – I'm sure WBF was set up as its own LLC just so you you can collapse it without having to worry about it. But I'm sure it was wholly owned by Titan Sports at the time. Um I'm I'm struggling right now to think of that, but of course they're, they're they've become minority investors in other projects. Most of them have been um, disclosed in one way or the other, being Marvel Ventures, which was kind of like a Marvel on Ice type touring show that Basil Devito used to be involved with, or of course uh, uh, Twitch, wasn't it? Flow no, no, I'm sorry, not Twitch, not Twitch. The uh, Flow Sports, yes, but um, what was the fake Twitter that they loved? Oh, Tout. Tout. Thank you. Yes, uh, Tout. And uh, other companies that we know that they've invested in in the past. It was like short videos. Yeah. 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 Periscope almost. Um, So, yeah. So so there's a lot of different things going on there. So really interesting. I think the the trademark filing, which basically has been filed and there's been no other movement on it, meaning that, you know, it hasn't been challenged. They haven't had to give a specimen. They haven't had to reply a lot about it. Um, I think it's in incontrovertible. That it's related to Vince McMahon just by which lawyers they're using, the fact it's the same name of the company, the fact it involves football, all that stuff is sitting there. And, and, um, and their media relations didn't deny it. And no, no. I mean I, I found Alpha Entertainment LLC because they gave me the name Alpha Entertainment. It took a little bit of uh, a poking around, um, but it immediately occurred to me, I bet you they're going to incorporate in Delaware because just knowing that WWE is incorporated there and – it would be just, to just that corporate tax haven of Delaware. Yeah. You know, I mean, I went to the Panama Papers. I went to other offshore leaks that stuff to see if I could find anything really juicy and interesting. And Alpha Entertainment is not a unique name. Uh, you know, you'll find a Singapore company from five years ago that did stuff and all these other goodies. But I don't think that's the same company. This this Alpha Entertainment LLC was started in September of 2019. Or I'm sorry, 2017. And they filed this trademark by like September 27th of, of 2017. And the reason that's important to me is that says they had the idea kind of fully formed by the time they did the LLC. It's pretty clear you don't put together applications like this and file them a day apart and get all these companies started just before you have the the granular thought in your mind about what you're going to do. This is a, a post-action thing where you say, all right, let's put this into play. Um, so you think this is a sign he's really going to proceed and start a football? No, no, no. I think this is a sign that there is an idea that has been formulated mm-hmm. and that they're they're pursuing that idea. I don't believe this is the same as saying it's going to happen. And the one thing a lot of people have made up, have made a lot of, which I think have been really misinterpreted. And I've seen my tweets on this, or actually I've seen Dave Bixenspan's tweets that it said, it quoted me, um, kind of plastered everywhere. I saw them on USA Today. I saw them on Deadspin. I, you know, it's been all over the place. Your tweets are on USA Today. Uh, Bix is is that says, "quote um, uh, I heard yesterday that WWE had restarted He Hate Me trademark. I didn't believe Mookie Ghana when he said this. I was wrong. Yeah. Something to that effect. And basically was saying that yeah, I I had told." Bixen span once I saw this, you know, discussion here that like, you know, they renewed all these XFL trademarks a while ago, including he hate me. And they went through the whole thing where they said um, the the examiner said, well, is it going to be re- related to Rod Smart, who's the the actual football player who 
use the name He Hate Me as his jersey. And uh, WWE replied, no, it's not going to be related to Rod Smart in any way. And basically is getting the trademark now. And so people have been saying, oh, man, look at all these XFL. Obviously, they're going to relaunch the XFL. I don't think they're going to relaunch the XFL. Here's why. WWE owns the XFL trademarks. They have gone through all the process of renewing all of those trademarks and setting them up. Those are WWE IP property. Furthermore, they started all of this more than a year ago, I believe, in um, anticipation of the 30 for 30. And if you think about it, if if they do a 30 for 30 on XFL and WWE doesn't have the trademarks for that, what's to stop somebody else from just going out there and basically trying to trademark that and start selling those jerseys? And printing, you know, and trying to sell, you know, ironically motivated uh, XFL yeah. shirts and things like that. And I'm positive that there was a, you know, that there would be a a market for that where you could make a couple thousand dollars. And so it was in WWE's interest, knowing that this 30 for 30 was going to come out, knowing that more people are going to be interested in this to protect that IP that they owned. So, but, but that's different from coming up with a a new league called UFL or whatever it is. Yes. And that's really important to me because let's think about it. All right. Say that this Vince McMahon company wants to use the name XFL. What do they got to do? where they have to either license or buy the trademark from WWE. But now you have Vince McMahon, owner of Company X, going to WWE, the chairman of the board, board of directors, Vince McMahon, and saying, I'd like to buy our licenses from you. So at that point, as an investor, you should have tons of red flags. How is he going to give a fair market value to a company that's only going to benefit himself. And I think that's the important thing is essentially as an investor, you would say, wait a second, are you selling company assets to yourself that are going to only profit you and I am only going to receive this? So then you would have to get into a big deal about saying, okay, what's the fair market value of this? Um, Can we have – You as an investor want to be sure that they're selling it, not just giving it, right? Yeah, and then saying, okay – who, who would be the person to sign off on this decision? Because we can't have Vince sign off on this decision. We can't have – and then half the board of directors is his own family, Stephanie and Triple H. They probably shouldn't be allowed to sign off on this decision. So then you're left with maybe the two or three board members that aren't actual members of the McMahon family uh, You know, who would probably have to approve that. Who are probably hey, also his friends though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that's true on a lot of board of directors. I mean the, the independent ownership of this is pretty low. Um That said, maybe, you know, maybe it would be a better deal for investors because honestly, if someone said, hey, I'll give you $2 million to buy the XFL name, that's probably a better deal for WWE than the amount of value that they're going to get out on the other side of this deal where you're trying to license and use the XFL name. However, that said, I think this is a sign that they're basically not going to use the XFL name. And that was what Dave Meltzer said on today's Wrestling Observer Radio where he said, I see them registering URFL and UFL as a sign that basically the XFL is a tainted name yeah. that is thought of as a lot laughingstock. Yeah. And as good as it is for motivating clicks on websites, and I got to tell you, I've seen a lot of clicks on websites for the XFL story here, and it's got a ton of play all over the world. Um, it's probably n- known as a damaged brand in such a way that it's, it's, it's like TNA. You know, it's something where you just don't want to be associated with it, even if what you're doing might be different or better or unique or, hey, just like TNA, a decade and a half later, it's not the same thing. But yet people think of it as this other thing. So I, I just think there's a huge conflict of interest story if they try to use, quote unquote, XFL and XFL trademarks. Now, someone else asked me, well, what would happen if they are selling throwback jerseys for he hate me 
Um, could Rod Smart have a complaint? Well, the way merchandising contracts work in WWE historically have been um, you're, you get the royalties on your material that says you get royalties on. So if the contract you signed said you get royalties for DVD sales or for T-shirt sales, they're obligated even when they release you to honor that that contract. And that's the whole reason why, you know, Bagwell and Levy are suing for royalties is basically they're saying, even if I don't work for you, I you have to honor the contract that says you would still pay me royalties on the things I'm owed. And that's why they don't they were suing. Yes, that's a good point. Um, And so what what I'd say is, A, we don't know what the XFL contracts were. It's very possible they didn't give those guys merchandising rights because they were basically just paying them, you know, 50K a guy to, you know, go in and do this thing, not knowing exactly what they were going to get from it. B, it's very possible that Rod Smart is going to get the royalties because there's lots of trademarks where WWE has said so-and-so is not actually the person who's going to – there's no person connected with this character. But that doesn't mean they don't pay royalties on that. So just because you know Luke Harper doesn't – his name is not associated with the Luke Harper trademark, that doesn't mean if they sell a Bludgeon Brothers t-shirt, he's not going to get a cut. He will get a cut. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't conflate the two necessarily to say that that stopped them from paying royalties to people as much as it's just been their way that they want to deal with um, managing their IP rights as if people are Peter Pan and anybody can play this character and and it doesn't matter who it is. That said, you know, if Rod Smart is getting the royalties, it's probably not in his interest to complain about it. Um, if he's not getting the royalties, um, maybe he would like to complain about it, but it's possible he didn't he signed away that ability already. Or, um, you know, that that's just how it lands. So it'll be very interesting to see if they actually do start selling things like the He Hate Me jersey, just because that is the most recognizable player um, of a nickname, at least, from the XFL. And and I think that there's some value there. So I, I'm really curious if, you know, how much in concert and strategy will we see between WWE and Alpha Entertainment? And if you're an investor, I think this is the sort of question you definitely should be raising. Yeah. Um, the next investors call is not until May, I think, right? Because we've been wait. No, it'd be more like February. Oh, you're right. Yes, yeah, February. Yeah, because Q4 call, um, yep. and when they do the annual report and all that would be probably early February. Yep. Um, originally, when I heard about this before I saw the trademarks, and someone asked me, "What do you think this is?" My answer would have been, "George Barrios is going to all these conferences all the time, and he talks at them." And, all these streaming and media and sports people come up to him and they tell him about their next big idea. And he thinks, this is really cool. This is really awesome. But I can't invest WWE money in this. And Vince McMahon is a billionaire. Hey, Vince, don't you think this is the sort of thing you should be getting involved with? And I thought of it more as an investment fund where Vince might just be, you know, try to plow some of his personal wealth into some of these, you know, startups like a, like a flow slam. Or flow sports, not a flow slam. In the, in the case of WB, if, if we're talking about Vince's personal money, because WB pays a dividend every quarter, and I've calculated it out, and it's like per year, based on what the, the stock price is, or not the stock price, but what the dividend payment is, it's what, 12 cents per quarter. And then you multiply that by the number of shares Vince gets, and he makes something like $17 million a year just in dividends. That's company, coming from the company itself. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, he makes more money on the stock than he does so as like, a. I don't know if it's nefarious chair. or anything, but like, it's basically you're, you're gonna because this company pays a dividend, you're, you're paying the CEO millions of dollars every year, seventeen million dollars a year, and uh, he's he's getting to funnel it into some other project that he wants. You know, so you're you're taking 
you know, company money. So, I mean, not really, but it's money that you've said, yeah, we're going to pay to to the CEO and he's going to do it. As a capitalist, I would just say it's dividends for shares that he owns of a company he's controlling and that what he chooses to reinvest that in his personal wealth, that's up to him. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is WWE money indirectly, but I mean, that's how we got rich. You know, he got rich off WWE. So of course that's where his personal wealth is going to derive from. Um, I think it's, I do think it's important that he learned the lesson that, you know, tying a project like this to WWE would make investors incredibly skittish because they would see it as XFL too. And I know when Deadspin wrote their article, they referred to an ABC report talking about a $70 million loss. They lost a lot more than $70 million on XFL. Uh, as I recall, it was more than $100 million, um, in some of those annual reports. So I, I, I thought it was funny that like, you know, it's unfortunate that some of the people who are writing these stories are basically just Googling as quick as they can and taking the first hit rather than talking to people who lived through that time or who have since researched that time because there's so much material. I mean, 2000, 2001, there's a ton of um, web material that's really good. But at the same time, people were online. And so almost all of this you can relive kind of week by week, day by day. Um, reading about it in the Observer, or you know, going to the actual um, financial reports because WWE was a publicly traded company, and looking at what those losses were. So I'm just even pulling up the report right now, as I say in in kind of real time. Let me see if I can find it. 2001 um, annual report. Uh, I think it would be the 2002 annual report because that would be when they shut it down already. Okay. Um, and so just looking here quickly at loss from uh, XFL. This was the per share loss. Let me see if I can find the next one. Discontinued um, operations. Um, it was uh, $46.9 million for the fiscal year ending 2001, but that was only the half that WWE owed. So um, I think they said – oh, I guess they only said uh, – they, they figured cumulative th- through 2002, they funded about $58 million, um, $32 million net of applicable – uh, tax benefits, however that worked out. So maybe that 70 million wasn't as far off as I, I remembered it being. Um, but yeah, uh, just the idea that it, it really hurt them last time and arguably was one of the reasons that they took their eye off the ball and collapsed kind of their 2001 to 2002 business. Um, and they were so much hotter as an entity because both they had a youth brand, they had the ability to cross market their stars, you know, Austin and Rock and people like that. They had Jim Ross and JR calling the games. I mean, uh, it, it was pretty clear. I don't remember how closely you remember the XFL, but it was legendary for the fact that it brought in such a high TV rating and then legendarily low TV ratings following the first games. So do, do you think they wrote some losses off on the, the XFL as like advertising? advertising that they would have paid for like they they got advertising out of it or they got some product placement out of it by having people like the rock or jim ross on nbc they got they gave them exposure does that make sense Mm, i don't think that's what they ended up doing no no i I don't see that i think they did get some net benefit from it just because it was a loss in their company so they were able to use that in some tax related things um but in the end they lost a lot of money and it would have been a really profitable year for them in 2001 but it ended up being less profitable because they, they had this XFL loss. I, I just think what's tough is it's really difficult to divorce the two in your mind about what Vince McMahon is doing outside WWE and what Vince McMahon is doing as a WWE chairman of the board. 
and creative director. And as people have said, it's tough because Vince gets really excited about things and then kind of loses interest. Yeah. And at the same time, Vince only has so much tolerance and he oftentimes will try to use the same people for everything. And so, you know, he was bleeding the people dry uh, during the XFL days. And it makes you wonder, would he have the ability to uh, really – would he be taking his eye off the game and stop being so involved in wrestling so he could go do this other thing? Yeah. Or is it more what like I'm suggesting where it's an investment portfolio where someone else is going to run this project and Vince is pouring some money into it for somebody else to do it? Knowing full and well, as much as Vince might say, oh, I'll keep my hands off the wheel, pal – He's he's probably not going to, you know, he's not the sort of guy who wouldn't want to step in. And, and by using the same people, you mean like you had Jr. doing wrestling commentary and football commentary. You think about well, the, and, the Vince Russo story about how they he, they wanted them to start writing SmackDown when they were already writing Raw. Just use the same people to write twice as much work. Well, and and the famous one um, was it Bubba Cam or whatever where uh, on the thirty for thirty they talk about how they used WWE cameramen. Oh, that's right. Because, you know, the, the the normal guys were like, no, we won't do that. And they're like, when Vince is like, well, I already got a guy, he'll do it. What was the Bubba so, story but, again? Well, just basically that they, they paid this guy to be like the on-field football guy or whatever it was yeah. and be involved in this very dangerous, you know, kind of situation. And the whole theory was, well, he's already my cameraman for WWE. Why can't I just bring him over to XFL <clears throat> and I'll just pay him for another day? Yeah. And it was like, instead of being like, this is a separate sports organization, I need to get, you know, the people that are used to f- filming football games, which is a lot different than the people that are used to filming WWE events. Vince is and in his grand- zone. He's got the people around him he wants yeah. and just keep doing it. And and to be fair, you know, I knew a guy once. Um, he was the the brother of somebody of a friend, and uh, he was a cameraman for WWE. And like literally, he would do like college games on the weekend, and then he would come over and do like Raw or SmackDown. Oh, okay. And so there is something to be said that some of these guys are in fact kind of like per hire sports, you know, contractors who do do those sort of things all the time. So there would be some overlap, but just the idea that he constantly would trying to think, well, I already have a big TV studio. Why can't I just use that to process, you know, all these things? Um, and, and you know, that's that's always the uh, the edge of synergy yeah. is that you want to think of things that you can get shared services that will help you out. But at the same time, why is the Performance Center in Orlando instead of Connecticut? Well, it's a lot easier to get people to go to Orlando yeah. than Connecticut. But if Vince had his way, I'm sure that the NXT would be just down the street. You know, it'd be the tracks facility or whatever it used to be. Yeah. So, what, what do you think is actually going to happen here? Do you think they're going to run a, a football league? I think, I think that there's kind of three or four little mini avenues. One is you can see the word streaming a lot in this here, and so I see it as maybe it's some kind of streaming service that they're trying to sell that would have football games involved in it somehow one is a little bit more of a web application football thing where it's a little bit more of some kind of fantasy league or fantasy or or football information app of some sort that is sort of being sold and then one of them is a straight-up tv show you know for the love of football this is this is your fl fl yeah um and we hope it won't be awful as some other people <laughs> um you know, and and a lot of people have said, oh, well, all they have to do is go hire Kaepernick and go hire um, Tebow and, you know, you'll have the mainstream guys. You know, at what point is this the battle of the network stars instead of a football league? I don't know. 
you know, it, it could be something like that where it's just reality crash television where you're just putting kind of famous people in a athletic situation yeah. and it's not football. It's a famous people in athletic situations thing. But um, if I could put on my, my tinfoil hat, maybe some, some possible uh, outcomes here is maybe this is just what Vince is going to do to and, and this, this kind of makes sense that he would, you know, he, he so wants to be known as an entertainment promoter, not just a pro wrestling guy. And maybe he could, you know, end his legacy by moving away from graduating from, let's say, pro wrestling and moving on to just being a football promoter. And this is my fantasy, I guess, though, that he would he would remove himself more from from the wrestling side of things and, and leave more of that to Paul Levesque creatively, I guess. Um, so may, maybe that. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I would say, say that's definitely going to happen or I feel strongly you know, I expect that's going to happen, but maybe that. Or maybe he sees the NFL and he sees all this controversy about the NFL, all these people kneeling. Maybe this is like the alt-right uh, football league. Someone suggested this to me this morning. Maybe this is going to be the alt-right football league where finally, oh, I, finally I, I, people I who joke, kneel will be fired. It's the UF, UF, uh, URFL. It's the, you know, the United Republican football league and the yeah. anthem plays through the entire game. Right. United, United, seems to be united yes yeah. united someone else asked me like uh what could urfl be and i was like well instead of virtual reality it's the ultimate reality um yeah it, i think it's very possible i think some of it is you're going into all these conversations about renewing your tv rights and what does every one of those conversations go on about Life's well sports. we pay the nfl this much money and they get this much money and even though viewership is declining in nfl here because people are disenfranchised with you know the game is becoming too too soft and these players are getting paid too much and they they're being asked to do this or do don't do this and they're getting too politically active um that you know vince sees an opening there and of course you know i'm sure vince sees it through a lens very close to a donald trump where you know he's he's feeling feeling that there's a, a swell of momentum about this subject and it's a way to distinguish yourself and so you know just in the same way people have suggested trump's attacks on the nfl is a smokescreen basically to distract people from the other things that are happening in the administration that vince mcmahon might say well this is a good lightning rod because it gets people to pay attention and i will say vince mcmahon has gotten a lot of press on xfl launch for something that he himself has not tried to publicize at all right so uh i you you, you know i wouldn't be surprised if it ends up with something really silly where like they get a creative contract to um explore the idea of creating a football league and they get somebody to fund them to pay them some money to do that kind of like the way you could sell a pilot you know but in the end it doesn't go anywhere any issues with somebody starting a football league who already has a cte lawsuit against them well that was what blew my mind is i thought if if there's any sport that you're going to say right now that you would be worried about being recategorized as putting the barbaricism back into the sport it would seem to be football unless you're going to go play football in mongolia or something where you're going to say this is in international waters is where all the games are played um sea land league of some sort that you know hey you you're fighting all these football concussion things and your whole idea of xfl was you wanted to like you know go no helmets or or looser helmets or allow late hits and all this other stuff that well, you, you kind you of want things about. like no no fair catch which is like yeah. when they punt the ball and it's way up in the air you can wave your arm and so so nobody can so you don't get you. 
yeah, or they wanted the scramble for the the ball in the beginning of the game right. rather and than kickoff, and then on tons of injuries. <laughs> exactly. So it's one of those where um, I, I I struggle, and again, we're applying XFL logic to what this could be. And I think sometimes maybe that's the wrong idea is that we should think about, you know, USFL and AFL and other leagues that have existed UFL that, um, what were they doing and what made them fail? The reality is almost all of them were money losers. Well, they were all money losers pretty much. And they hired celebrities at times like, you know, a Herschel Walker as, as Meltzer will point out, or they, they hired, um, you know, bombastic team owners like a Donald Trump. Um, and did, did that Trump own a team. Yeah, yeah, in the USFL. Oh, oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it it just says a lot, and that's another great thirty for thirty that I think people should watch is the UFSL. Um, but yeah, it's it's intriguing. It's you know you see the word football, 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 football in this application. You do not see anything else, and of course, it's called the URFL, the United Football League, for the love of football. So I mean, it's possible that you know you could go in a different direction. Uh, some people have suggested maybe NBA would do. Not NBA, but basketball has a bigger future because there's probably less concussions. Um, it's continuing to grow as a sport in popularity. Uh, they've been able to internationally market it in different places and and break in. And there's somewhat of an excess of players in the world. You know, there's there's lots of leagues set up in different areas from China to Europe to South America teams, to so. North America. Yeah. So and Australia even. So I mean, there's there's lots of leagues set up around the world already. Um, so it's an idea. Uh, I, I, I think this idea of, and maybe I'm just uh, having a conspiracy theory here, but this idea of like a, a a football league that caters more to people who are frustrated by whatever the, the political stuff is that's going on in the NFL right now. I I, I see that as like, well, are are we like going to start to live in a world this has less to do with wrestling? But are we going to start to live in a world where like our consumer choices are politicized more and more? And that seems concerning. But uh, but again, <laughs> you could argue. But but the <laughs> thing where everybody likes to believe that the way the way a the world was and b the way programming was when they were younger was more to their taste, and so you know what is the way that CBS tries to get a new new uh, lock hold on streaming? They launch a Star Wars or Star Trek series. I feel so dumb saying that. Star Trek series. Why? Because they know that's the sort of thing that's going to bring back some of these people or bring them to streaming in a certain way. And so I, I do feel like there's that element where a lot of entertainment for years and years has been predicated on the idea of saying, well, the older people who are the people who are most likely to keep a lot of these um, subscriptions or have the disposable income or the the interest in watching kind of real time things. What appeals to them? Where are they disenfranchised and how can I try to get them back? So it, it, I, I, I hear what you're saying, which is, of course, you know, if the politicized nature of it is what's bothering people, then, yeah, I, I really do wonder what Vince McMahon's thing is going to be. Yeah. That, and and you at know, the same time, WWE has been very careful not to say anything about Trump. Right. And like I, there's I don't know if there's a explicit you know, guidance with their performers, but nobody ever tweets about politics or tweets about the president. Or at least, very not, li- at least not directly. No, it's it's. I, I think it's very clear to them that they know uh, Trump is too divisive for them to come out one way or the other way, and you know they don't want to constantly say, "Hey, look at this." They used a WWE GIF of uh, uh, Trump hitting Hillary Clinton. Look at this. Right. You know, like they they were very careful considering all the other times that they've jumped on kind of uh, 
you know, like the RKO out of nowhere craze. You know, they've jumped on other kind of uh, memes and trends and things that have happened and they stayed very far away from it here. And I think that's on purpose because they know that um, it would really divide their audience. And that's that's why it's really hard to guess where Vince would come down on this, you know, patriotism kneeling uh, during the anthem thing, because a they just did file a, a trademark for the most patriotic show on television. Right, and they run um, tribute to the troops every year. Yeah, so that's clear that that's flags. a that's a big deal for him. Yet at the same time, Vince has also been like Mister Freedom of Speech. Yeah. Um, he claims that he's he's the biggest advocate of all for freedom of speech. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, my my point with Vince is just he. We don't know which side he would end up on because, of course, it seems like a lot of people are predicating this entire notion on the idea that Vince would go and get a Colin Kaepernick. So the idea then that the first thing he would do would be institute a no kneeling policy is is completely uh, incongruous. If he if he were interested in Colin Kaepernick, and I think part of it too is what could you do with a football league that would make people interested if not hire the most high profile celebrities out there that either have retired recently or you know unless Conor McGregor is now playing American football i i you know yeah. maybe that's a new new venture for him is that Conor and Vince together will launch this new network wherever the biggest money is i'm sure he'll go yeah so um so that was interesting for sure we have a lot of other subjects we've been talking about here. Let's see if I can get back to our doc. Yep. We've yeah, got, my internet's working on the other side. I'm on the phone right now to yeah, you got try Bagwell to pull this through. Levy lawsuit. Is yeah, let me, or we could talk about the mixed match challenge. Well, let me just let me just hit on this Bagwell Levy story really quickly. So the first part is that it was um, dismissed. I think we talked about this last week, actually. Yes. And we had conspiracy theorized that there there had been some kind of hush hush payment to both men to go away. And what I did not understand at the time was the countersuit that WWE had leveled against Levy, which said basically, hey, Raven, Scott Levy, Johnny the Body, uh, you insisted that we paid off a judge in your other lawsuits in Connecticut about the independent contractor stuff. I think he also had a royalties lawsuit at one point. He said this on Jerry's podcast, didn't he? And he said it on Takas Jericho back in 2015. Oh, that and, long ago, huh? It wasn't something that happened recently. 2015 is recent, though. Well, my point is I, just, I didn't understand that it was that long ago. I thought it was – oh, he was on, on recently and that messed up his lawsuit. But, okay. No, no. And so WWE basically said, well, when we gave you an early contract release, it says really specifically in it you cannot disparage us. And making these sort of claims against us and specifically making the claim that Vince McMahon paid off a judge – which is a, a highly um, a claim that can be proven wrong or at least can be proven to be uh, unfactual. There's a lack so of that, evidence perhaps. Yeah, yeah, there's no evidence to prove this and to say that it is disparaging to him and as the head of a company to suggest he's doing criminal things, um, that this basically violated his contract release. And therefore, WWE could void his contract, which means why would we owe you any royalties because your contract is void? And B... Um, we have basically the ability to have some kind of recourse against you, in this case, the countersuit. And so when the, the suit was dismissed, it basically said, Bagwell and Levy, you are choosing – and this was the way that they filed the paperwork. You are choosing to give up on your ability to ask for um, the ability to bring back the suit in the future. So this is being dismissed with prejudice. 
And we are also saying it is um, that WWE's claim is being dismissed without prejudice, meaning if you come back and once again try to sue us, I can revive this claim against Scott Levy that says you have violated your contract release and therefore your contract is void. And uh, plus all these other things about, you know, you owe us, you know, for every instance of this claim, you owe us this much money for, you know, uh, damages and, and whatnot. So yeah, I think that was really important that uh, it was clear that WWE basically won very heartily at the end of this case. And the question was, did they give any money to them? Well, WWE just filed another thing called a bill of costs, a verified bill of costs, which basically said we prevailed in this lawsuit. Even though we were the defendants, we prevailed. And therefore, by the definition of prevailing and the law in Connecticut, we can ask for certain costs that we incurred to be paid for by the people that brought the other side. And specifically, they're looking at the deposition costs and the transcript transcript this document doesn't this document start out with despite the claims uh, made on russellnomics radio we have not (laughs) paid off this uh, lawsuit well so it starts with saying here's our bill of costs but right in the beginning of the introduction it says no money was paid by wwe to either bagwell or levy in consideration for the dismissal of the planet's claims with prejudice so uh i don't know whether that was a you know, response to all of the rumors going around or whether that was just a legal thing where they wanted to make it very clear. I wonder if it was being done because Bagwell and Levy have all these lawyers that they have put on contingency, including the original lawyers and the future ones. And they basically said, we are going to argue over lawyers fees if there's money given out. So WWE might have basically been saying, here's what we'll do for you is that we'll make it very clear. We didn't pay you any money so that these people can't come after you for that money. In exchange, however, we also make it really clear that you owe us about $6,000 for the deposition and the transcript costs. And this is something we've seen WWE do in other lawsuits. They did it after the Larry Zbysko Living Legend trademark infringement case. They also did this on the um, Doug Summers case where he had uh, said, hey, I'm on a bunch of DVDs for WWE and therefore I deserve money. Um, what What's funny about it too is that they also made it clear that originally – Um, The plaintiff's counsel indicated they intended to dismiss Levy's claims with prejudice, meaning they can't refile, but Bagwell's claims without prejudice. WWE's counsels responded that WWE would not stipulate a dismissal on that basis and insisted the dismissal of all claims be with prejudice. Plaintiff's counsel ultimately agreed. So I think it was really clear to them that Raven had a sinking ship, and so he was no good to them. Because he's the one that made the claims on the podcast. Yeah, because he had had very clearly – Put himself in in a couple situations. The other one, if you read the whole case, it was also really clear that it wasn't. It, it's also really clear that it's not clear on um, whether or not Raven actually was solicited for his lawyer correctly, because it's possible the lawyer solicited him as opposed to the other way around. We've talked about this a lot already, but um, he was he was falling into some pretty deep you know trouble about that. Um, to to the same. And Bagwell had that same problem. Bagwell himself had also said on a podcast, the, the Pancakes and Power Slams podcast, if I recall. Um, I know. What a great name. Is that still active? Uh, I have no idea. Can we assume that IP? That <laughs> Don't want it. Uh, maybe the Waffles and Wrestling, or WrestleNomics or something. But um, the Flapjacks and Fighting. Uh, but that, That'll be our, our second brand. Yeah, that, that will be the one that actually has a uh, uh, graphics that aren't just a knockoff of the Olympic Wrestling Committee. 
Um, but yeah, basically that Raven was going to have to give up on his lawsuit. Um, Bagwell in theory could have continued his, but the one, two, two big things about Bagwell's number one, it wasn't going to be a class action lawsuit because Raven was representing people that signed WWE F contracts between what it, what it was 99 and, and 2002, I think. Bagwell didn't sign one of those contracts. He signed a WCW Incorporated contract, which was a subsidiary of WWE, but was a completely different company. And so there was almost nobody else who had one of those contracts. So there's almost nothing they could do with a class of people represented that way. Two, um, so Bagwell would have had to basically just been going on his own. And I don't think that they felt Bagwell had a very strong case. I think his deposition didn't go well. I think some of the other things he said didn't go well. And as Dave Meltzer basically called him an idiot, <laughs> wrestling observer radio, he more or less straight up said it, uh, that he, he is not in the best mind always and probably would not be a very good witness. And he would probably get torn to shreds. And uh, for a contingency thing, I'm sure the plaintiffs didn't think, why am I going to fight a lawsuit for two more years? against these people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars probably on legal fees and then ultimately still get a small settlement that may not even cover all of the fees that we've spent. So I'm sure Bagwell, you know, people were a little surprised that Bagwell would kind of give up on his claims considering it was Levy who was taking the case. But I also think it says a lot about that Bagwell's claims were not that good because he was kind of using his WCW contract more than he was using his WWE version of a WCW incorporated contract. And uh, I just don't think it was a credit. Yeah. So I think it was a case where neither man had a great leg to stand on. I think Raven probably had a better leg to stand on had he not filed so many other lawsuits, lost so many other times in court and then said so many things that could be held against him. I still think that there's a lot of guys who were in the CTE lawsuit who have in fact been excluded from the CTE lawsuit. Um, by the the basically the statute of limitations or by the cutoff date of when they said you had to have performed in WWE beforehand, that might be candidates for a royalties lawsuit. So if you're say Ryan Sakota, and you're a guy who you know had a short run in WWE, but probably signed contracts during those right years, or um, uh, he might have a claim, for instance, but a lot of other people would not for network royalties. Um, yeah, for network royalties. Now, do I think that they deserve network royalties? Big question mark. Um, I do think as media has transferred year over year and changed, different people get different royalties for different structures. You know, when TV shows originally came out, people worried a lot about what would I get for reruns, but they didn't worry a lot about what would I get for home video, right? Because no one thought about the idea of selling these things in some kind of fashion that was even affordable. You know, if you think about the old home video, you know, like when people collected Star Trek or Doctor Who, it, it costs so much money to get all those videotapes. Well, DVDs came out and suddenly a box set was not ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, a lot of times they hadn't actually made the rights correct for the music and for other things to release shows on DVD. And so that was a whole kind of rights debacle. And then as we switched from that to, you know, streaming, again, it changed for what the royalties fee and the royalty structure would look like for people. So I think over time, we've always changed the way that we've we've recompensated people for works that they've been involved with. Um, I do think wrestlers deserve more than zero. I don't think they deserve, you know, necessarily a percentage of revenue. I think they should probably get some kind of a flat fee would personally be what I would probably propose is some kind of flat fee for their involvement on the network. But I guess if you want to have workers who do good work and have high morale, which benefits the company in a lot of ways, 
I would think you would want to pay people for the added value that they they put on the network. Like for example, if somebody's watching a documentary about a given wrestler and that documentary does a lot of viewership, that that performer should be benefited and should be rewarded in some way. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying, and and we don't know for a fact that they're not. You know, we don't know that that if they do a Roman Reigns 360 or whatever that show is called, that Roman Reigns doesn't get some kind of special payment for that. But do we have a special uh, guest on WrestleNomics right now? Yeah, can you hear my dog come <laughs> upstairs? I'm sorry about that. Oh. Yeah, she was Meliara was sitting at the bottom of the stairs waiting. She can hear my voice, and so she's been, I guess, anxiously for an over an hour here so she wanted to come up and say hello um but yeah so it's 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 an interesting question and one reason i think wwe wanted to get rid of the suit is they didn't want to answer that question of how would they propose a hypothetical royalty structure for wwe uh network and it's a, a great question i wonder you know what they would propose and i think that they were nervous about basically getting tied down because anything they put in writing that's the thing that they can next use because you know if you're getting zero dollars I'm sure a lot of people are willing to get less than more than zero, even if that is not a great formula. And if you're a obscure performer on the network, it's probably more in your benefit to get any kind of money because it's much easier for you to kind of leverage up um, by being on one nitro that you did a job, you know, the Rochester roadblock or something versus um, a lot of other things. But uh, very intriguing. I, I think it's interesting to see how explicit they were that they did not pay any money. I think it validates all the people who said very explicitly they didn't pay any money. And I think maybe that suggests that those people might have, in fact, been talking to the McDivitt side of things who wanted to make it very clear that WWE wasn't paying any money. So I, I think sometimes it might also validate when people say, oh, well, how does this wrestling reporter know anything about what's happening uh, what sources could they possibly have? I, I think this kind of underscores that a lot of these times they do have these sources that are people that are directly involved in these cases, much more than me. You know, I do not correspond with these lawyers. I just use Pacer and Recap and Court Listener wait, wait, and who's other questioning, things. Who's questioning that reporters don't know anything about this? Or, or, or what are they questioning? You know, I've seen people at times suggest that maybe Dave just makes things up or how does Dave know this or that? Um, and about I think, what exactly about this? Something well, about this you case? know, well, coming out of this case, Dave was very explicit that they did not spend any money, that they did not pay anything to oh. Bagwell and Levy. W and okay. I thought, I thought it was very interesting that he was taking such a strong stance to be very clear about that. Yeah. And at the time, I thought, well, how could you know? Because even if you asked Bagwell and Levy, they probably couldn't tell you for sure, right? They couldn't tell you that because it would be confidential. And the only other way you could know for sure would be WWE telling you that. And then the fact that now it's come out in writing, I think that says a lot about, you know, they're being very explicit about this. So uh, it, I, I, maybe no one's saying that, you know, it's the same way that there was a story on Sports Illustrated where they said, well, a lot of people have criticized um, pro wrestling sheet for uh, um, was it pro wrestling sheet? The Ryan Satin's publication. Is that what it's called? That, that did what? For publicizing Rich Swan's arrest. And it's an invasion of privacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I quoted this and I said, who, who did this? And even Meltzer quoted me and is like, it's news. News is news. And it's ridiculous to pretend that this would be a problem. People that – I think he referred to people that complain about that have an IQ of eggplants, which <laughs> just again, <laughs> strange yeah. Meltzerism. No, if, if somebody gets arrested, that's – Especially I mean, in a situation like that where it's public record what's happening. 
And and so it was funny because then I think Ryan Satin even weighed in and said, I vanity searched. I couldn't find people telling me that they thought this was an invasion of privacy. Uh, so he wasn't sure where I think it was uh, Justin Bizzario, uh at Sports Illustrated, if I remember correctly. I, I guess I should check that. Make sure that was him. Who's? I'm pretty sure you're right. It's in the it's same as the Mark Cuban uh, interview. Yeah. Uh, but it just that no, that was not in fact something that a lot of people seem to be saying. But yeah, you know, you'll hear there must be some minority of people that were complaining about this. So yeah. perhaps there are people that say that's not true. Yeah, or that's I mean, not I, I fair. think I agree with like what Sean Ross Sapp says about things where he makes editorial decisions about what he's going to publish and what he's not. Like if if it's something that's related to their job at at WWE it's going to affect their job and obviously it did in the case of Rich Vaughn he was suspended uh, yeah and besides the fact it's an arrest and, and, uh, and why he was arrested and it's a public record yeah that's news so you know we're talking about this Bagwell Levy thing like this is the top news story when in fact you know you could argue that the Disney Fox deal is a big big deal and this WWE Mixed Mark Match Challenge is a big big deal so I think we should talk about one of those two next uh, let's start with the Mixed Match Challenge um, it's going to debut on Facebook on January 16th. Tell me about this show and what we know. Well, Variety came out with an article and announced probably through, I guess, through. was there a WWE uh, press release on this? There was an article on their website at least saying on. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely a, uh, a press release. I'm curious, is this going to be Mark? Um, oh, no, it's by Todd Spangler. Interesting, because in the old days, Variety had like a guy who that would just basically re requote whatever the WWE press release was every time. That's an um, easy job. Yeah, Mark Mark something. Uh, he was like a senior variety guy, and I used to just rail on how completely unindependent he was, which is not a lot. You know, variety is variety. It's it's like complaining that TMZ does not seem to have the journalistic ethics of of New York Times. Yeah. You know, but so on January sixteenth, they're going to debut a Facebook series called Mixed Match Challenge, which it looks like it's going to involve mixed tag matches with a uh, one male competitor and one female competitor. Uh, competitor, man. I see I've been brainwashed. Wrestler. Uh, so there's, it's going to be a 12 episode series. So this is not an Wait, so do you, series. Yeah. So do you, so it's a tag team tournament pitting them against each other, but do you think it might be two men in a tag team tournament and two women in a tag team tournament? Or you really think it's going to be men and women on the same team? I'm under the impression it's going to be one man, one woman against another man and another woman. Interesting. Okay. So we get Rusev and Lana. Oh boy. Yeah, we could. Uh, it's going to be a 12 episode series, so it's not going to be an indefinite thing. It's just, and it, it is going to be a tournament, I believe. It's just, it has a single elimination tag team tournament pitting male and female superstars from its Raw and SmackDown live rosters. Uh, there's going to be some sort of fan interaction, fan voting. I don't think they've been clear on that. Voting on certain elements of the matches. The episodes will be 20 minutes long, and Facebook is paying WWE for the distribution rights. Uh, they did not disclose how much they're paying them, but uh, probably more than a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, probably. The uh, winner, winner's charity gets a hundred grand. That's right. And as as <laughs> as uh, uh, was pointed out on on Observer, it is a little fake to unless you're like totally having the fans, you know, decide the winners each time. It is a little disingenuous to have a worked tournament where people are quote unquote competing for for charities. That's true. You know, <laughs> otherwise, you know, right, which which charity we care about most is going to be the winner. Yeah, yes. exactly. Do you think Connor's kids or well, kids for kids or whatever is going to win this whole thing? I guess maybe they'll not uh, announce the, what the charities are, but that that's what Meltzer and, and Brian had had suggested maybe yeah. would be it. Or if or if it is straight up just uh, voters' choice for who's winning something in some way. 
then I guess you could at least have everybody representing some charity. And then, you know, it's just kind of who's the most popular. And then maybe, just, um, I don't know, maybe just all the charities quietly get $100,000 regardless. I would guess all the charities are probably going to get at least ten grand. i am sure. Because, you know, they say 100000 to the winner. But, you know, just like on game shows, it's not like no charity gets no money. Usually they, they donate, you know, make small donations to each of the losers. So I would imagine they would take that same thing. Philanthropy uh, is the future of marketing. As that's what said. Yeah, that was one of the guys from Twitter retweeted by Stephanie McMahon and then quietly edited off of the investor – I'm sorry, the business Business uh, summit, summit, which was funny because I was watching – the day they put up that summit, I was – I happened to be at home and I was streaming it. And so I watched them re-edit the description of the event to take that out. Like I watched so did you the see the actual video? No, it was never in the video. Oh. It was never in the video, but it was in the description of the video. Mm-hmm. And then when I refreshed it a couple hours later, it disappeared. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say that at one point they just kind of like had taken the description of what had happened in the show and then later kind of like edited it out. So I thought that was funny. But no, I never saw the video. The only clip I've ever seen of it was the, uh, the Twitter uh, picture. So the, as far as the people who are going to participate in this, it's a pretty healthy selection of uh, – it's not just like low mid-carders here. You've got the, – the Raw roster is going to include Alexa Bliss, Alicia Fox, Asuka, Bailey, YouTube superstar Braun Strowman, Enzo Amore, Finn Balor, Nia Jax, Goldust, Sasha Banks, and The Miz. That's from Raw. And, and Braun seems like such a strange person to put in the mix there. Like I would have said Big Show or someone like that oh, where – Braun, like, when we did that YouTube study and Braun – No, no I'm not saying Braun's on a draw. I'm just yeah. saying Braun, the monster among men, just seems like a bad fit for mixed a tag charity mixed tag show. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's modern WWE, isn't it? It's, you know, everybody loves loves being – you know, there's there's heels and faces, but then there's this non-heel face realm where cha- you know charity, charity uh, functions and donations exist. Yeah, yeah. And then Stephanie McMahon and Triple H come out and hug people who are, you know, who have overcome breast cancer and things like that. And That's wear true. Connor's Cure bracelets. Who's on SmackDown? From SmackDown, Becky Lynch, Bobby Roode, Carmella, Charlotte Flair, Jimmy Uso, but not Jay Uso, Lana, Naomi, Natalia, Rusev, Sami Zayn, Shinsuke Nakamura, and a member of the New Day who will be selected by fan vote. So we do have Lana there, and we do have Rusev on the other one. So yeah, in theory, uh, it's conceivable. And also, um, yeah, so it's it's very conceivable that that would be a team. And it would make sense for it to be a team. Obviously, Maurice is not going to be able to be Mrs. Partner on this one. Uh, She's pregnant. You know, I would, it would actually be funny. Is Naomi in this? She yep, is. she is. So we, oh, that's probably why it's Jimmy. Isn't, isn't Naomi Jimmy's wife? I don't recall which one. Yeah, I bet you anything Naomi and... Uh, Jimmy are married, and so that makes a lot more sense that then you would have them as the two. I haven't watched enough to look yes, into this. Yes, she is. Yes, she is married to Jimmy. So that that's why it's just, just her. Um, so probably going to so have yeah. couples tag teams there. Exactly. I was going to say, this could be actually kind of funny because, uh, you know, if you had Cena and Nikki come back and, and uh, Brian and, and, and Bree, you could probably have, like, an entire tournament of just couples mm-hmm. uh, by the time this would be done. Um, have Sable and, and Lesnar. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. Stephanie that and Triple H. Stephanie, Stephanie and Triple H. They'll, they'll win it. You could do. You could do an all. Not uh, unfortunately, can't do Tyson Kidd and uh, Natalia yeah, anymore. But oh, that'd yeah. be sad. But you can't look at um, Brian and, and Bree either. But. No, no, you can't. It's but, not at the moment. But yeah, it's just kind of funny with all these. Uh, hey, oh, and you can do um, Layla and um, 
uh, Ortiz, uh, Atlas Ortiz, better known as Ricky Ortiz. Okay. That's who she, yeah, the ECW guy, he, uh, he was this really tall football player guy. Um, yeah, from the ECW, like revival and, and that's who Layla ended up marrying. So bring them back and yeah, I have a lot of good ones. Actually, Sasha's husband is a wrestler too, I believe. He is. Yeah, but Cass is injured. Otherwise, he, maybe you could have tagged with Carmella. Although he's yeah. Jeez, look at this. Look at this. You got you got all these choices. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyhow, uh, that it, interesting timing on this. Um, I do think that this has helped fuel some of the increase in WWE stock price, mainly because. It's people making a big, 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 big deal over the fact that Facebook is paying WWE for content. Yeah, and I think what they're is overlooking is not a big deal. It is a big deal, but I think they're overlooking that the, that what Facebook is doing is Facebook is buying twenty minutes of programming yeah. on ad-free programming on Facebook Watch. What does that mean? Does that mean like there's no c- video commercials that are going to roll during the show? Because there's probably still going to be ads on the side, right? On Facebook, just like there always is. Oh, yeah. Obviously, there will always be that. I think I think Facebook is seeing this purely as an investment into trying to get people to use their Facebook video as a streaming service. Um, one thing that's that was kind of written about in the uh, the one of the New York Times pieces I was reading about Fox and this was when they referred to Facebook, they were just saying how – um, Facebook and YouTube have said they're prepared to spend $3 million an episode for a drama. But the problem they're having is that um, Facebook really is seeming to be spending a lot as a uh, advertising platform, that they really want to you know, get a lot of advertising to make it worth their while for what they're spending. And uh, yeah, was it? currently YouTube is putting its highest quality content behind a paywall, while Facebook is focused on bringing in advertising dollars. It's not clear how Apple will distribute its TV shows. And that says a lot about the fact that, A, this Facebook watch, there was a Bloomberg article on it um, recently that was kind of critical of just how it's been a little bit of a mess for, for a company that seems to understand so much about social media. Their video platforming has not been all that successful, and the shows that they've put together don't really make a lot of sense and seem to just be kind of like a hodgepodge of the random streaming stuff you could find anywhere else. Um, so I, I see this much more as a Facebook is trying to get people to realize that they have a video service and that it matters. Right. But I don't see it as a Facebook has a way to justify why they would spend $200 million on WWE programming in the future, right. which We're is what people – I've written Which is where here. people are going. And so that's why I think it's funny that it's like, no, Facebook is buying a 20-minute show that's an add-on. And of course it's in WWE's interest to make a deal with them. What do they have to lose? Putting more programming on, especially in a 20-minute format on a completely different platform. This is George Burial's 101. This is what he loves, right? The idea of putting different content in different pillars in the ecosystem. That's right. And so – in fact, I even think it says that they get to put it on uh, WWE Network in the future, just not immediately. Right. There's a I don't I don't know if they're specific about the timeline, but maybe something like 30 days, like they have with Raw and SmackDown episodes. Um, I've written in the doc and it's, here. It's a 20 minute episode, and it's it's only 12 weeks. So I mean, it's a very limited involvement. It's a very and the the biggest question is going to be, is it going to air live? Which I it think? is yes. Okay, it's going to air live. live on Facebook, and that leads which that means opens, you have to push two hundred five, right? Right. That opens some questions about what, where two hundred five live goes. Does two hundred five live go? 
before SmackDown on Tuesdays? Will it still be aired live on the network? Will Will they tape it before Two SmackDown? rings. Two rings. Simultaneous. Same, do it at the same time, yeah. You can always do that. No, Vince doesn't Split like to screen. Do, Vince doesn't like to do that. Two rings in, in one arena. But, yeah. Uh, I, I think what's interesting here is that it's just a 12-week series, which I think is going to be weeks. That's 12 episodes, probably 12 weeks. Uh, I think that's good for when you're dealing with Vince McMahon because Vince will be excited for it for about 12 weeks and no longer. Yeah, um, it's like tough enough. You know, it's it's good for limited series run. It's a good way of trying to get people involved, and it's a great way of getting selling people on the idea. Yeah. Like I am much more likely to watch and and pay some attention to this thing as a twelve week show than I would if it's an indefinite show like two hundred five live. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's very interesting that for the first time there's a there looks to be a, some actual money coming from this will probably be allocated under digital media segment right? This f- Facebook's giving W money maybe it's not a lot of money. I know and like uh, I know Rich from uh, Voice of Wrestling on Twitter he questioned you know, why, why are they putting this uh, on Facebook. And not on the network. I, he said, "I can see you know the value of wanting to work with Facebook, but you, you got to make the, the network important." And I think this type of program would have a pretty pretty limited value, pretty limited added value uh, for subscribers who already exist, or for subscribers who who might subscribe. In other words, I don't think adding this program to the WWE network would add a lot of subscriptions. But you announced this program, and it has zero impact on the stock price. And on the future of this company, and all it gets is coverage in wrestling circles. Right. You announced announce Facebook network is doing this. Yeah. yeah, you announced Facebook. It has tons of play. It creates BTIG gets to scream from the hilltops that four hundred million dollars is right around the corner. Because why wouldn't Netflix just dump all this money on them, and so forth? So it, it to me, it's it's like it's such a bigger play for them on a Facebook side and honestly from a stock price side, because people love the fact that when you Google WWE, the word Facebook is going to pop up there. Yeah. What do you think they want their social media to be associated with? And what do you exactly. think they want their, their streaming opportunities to be associated and, with? And the other point I want to make, I've got a note here in the, in the doc saying something about Facebook video, TBS USA analogy. And isn't this kind of akin to in the early eighties when, you know, these new cable stations like TBS were coming up and, they wanted to get a lot of people to watch them, and one of the things that they reached for was pro wrestling content. Yeah, and it was cheap. It was easy, yeah. and it was available. Um, and yeah, in, in the early days of cable, it was just about what can we get on, and it was barely any money. But even for both sides, they both kind of saw it as a good exposure for them. And it might not and be I, huge money right now. I, I think we'll get an idea of it. I said in May, right? Because this will this will, this is all going to happen in Q1. So the Q1 report will come out in May, and then maybe in the d- digital media. I really segment. do, I really do wonder if it's going to show up in the digital segment though, or in the television segment. I really wonder which way they're going to play it. I, I do, I do think you're right. It's probably How is it digital. Television? Other, other than I like to say, like I like to hold up a smartphone and say, "This is a TV, guys. You got to use get on TV." But I, you know, if it's because it's being taped as part of a television asset. Is the only thing I could think of, because it's tough to allocate all those costs towards a digital entity. But I, I agree. It, when about, Snapchat, when they sell Snapchat filters of the new day, that goes into digital. That's not going to go into I, I television. You could say the same thing about all their Raw and SmackDown clips. Like those are maybe yeah. those should be allocated and counted under TV as far as I, uh, it, they get complicated with the way. I mean, that's one reason why they actually restated the network and other division profitability at the beginning of the year, if you go back to one of our first shows is because they 
decided that they had to allocate more money towards who was the first run content, who showed it first, basically. So if it got showed first on television, it went to the television segment. Okay. If it went to the network first, it went to the network segment and so yeah, forth. So and, I and, think and that's that case, the way they've done it. It yeah. should be digital. Yeah. 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 I, I would say unless they decide to redefine the segments as they've done many times and say that you know the network segment encompasses – because you could argue anything that they've done in the network segment could be part of this. And so I could see them shoving into the network segment. To say it's it's like you know added fees that we get because it's programming that will eventually be reallocated to the network. Yeah, I think that would be misleading though. Oh, and I'd hate for them to do that. That would be unheard of. Uh, but anyway, this is interesting, and like I said, it's probably not that much money. But it's what do you? I don't know. It's probably maybe in the low millions. Single digits. Um. Yeah, I I would I would say let's see here. So it's twelve episodes. I would say it's, and com- it's a comparable third of an hour. Mm-hmm. So it's four hours of programming. Um, each hour, you know, each hour I would say somewhere between four hundred thousand and eight hundred thousand dollars an hour. So you know, I I could see yeah anywhere from one and a half to three million. And honestly, WWE I could see taking a haircut on it. Just to do it because expenses for them are super low, right? Because it's already a show. They already got all the talent there. Well, I take that back. They don't have the talent there, right? So you have to bring in all the raw people. Right. So the one thing you will, you are doing here is you're telling all these raw people, Hey, by the way, you got to stay another day. And for some of these people that that's not going to be their favorite thing in the world, because unless they're getting off a house show on Friday that they don't have to do anymore, that's being on the road for an extra day versus what they've signed up for most of the time. So I, I could see, you know, even maybe the highest profile people uh, possibly losing early <laughs> so they don't have to do that anymore because they don't want to lose them for the um, the ability to use them on uh, house shows. Right. So, you know, um, Miz. Well, well, I guess if this is uh, a 20-minute series – they're can't they're not going to do more than two matches in in an episode, right? So you only really need what eight of them at at a time. That's a good point too. That you don't necessarily have to say make every person. So maybe you're right. Over the twelve weeks, they might just say, "Hey, each of you will be required to work three more Tuesdays." Okay, um, that's fair. But so, uh, yeah, I, I I'm guessing somewhere between one and a half and two million. For the deal, yeah, yeah, I think that's my my guess. So it's not a lot, but it's something, and I think that's a sign of, of probably where th- things will continue to go if uh, if we avoid disaster and technology continues to develop. But uh, so I'm uh, this year for Christmas, and we'll get into TV rights as well. I'm accepting apologies uh, from uh, neo luddites who have uh, banged the drum about how you know social media doesn't matter, and uh, the sky is falling, and the TV ratings are falling, and things like that. I don't know if you can hang your hat on the idea that internet ventures are willing to spend good money after bad money or no money after lots of money all the time and that they're willing to loss lead on certain platforms and that means the future of technology is in that platform. So I don't know if I can argue that the Facebook video is really the future of media as much as it is Facebook trying to make it work now and throwing money after it, just the way lots of Silicon Valley companies have. I don't think like Facebook video as as it as it will be with this series is like the future of media will be like the the dominant uh, 
form of media, but it's going to be at least one aspect, I think, among other things like whatever bundles we maintain with the, the, the cable yeah, but that I, we're familiar with. But I think that the real risk is trying to choose the winners and losers. Like, it, I don't think anyone disagrees that streaming is the future and that there's a lot of, of momentum in streaming. But I think what's important is to say, well, YouTube's content wall, paywall, is that going to actually survive? Is that going to ever get traction? Why does Hulu only have, as of a year and a half ago, 12 million subscribers? Are they ever going to get any traction? Is that really the limit for them compared to Netflix 100 million? That Those are the debates that I think are much more interesting and much more relevant. Is I, I agree with you, yes, there's people out there who just seem to – to not want to believe that digital and streaming are coming. But I also think that there's a lot of failures and there's a lot of slow momentum in streaming. And sometimes we treat it like so monolithically when in fact such different strategies are being tried. And so many of these companies are sitting on piles of money, billions of dollars of cash, and they're throwing that money at the problem, much like Amazon has, and not necessarily seeing a return for their money. Yeah, I I think it's a question of which company is going to I don't know, create the business plan that's going to capture the most consumers. So it's going to capture, you know, a, a market of consumers and there's going to and be there's some a, survivors and, and some people who don't survive in that. And, and well, and there's a huge argument about type of content, right? So when you look at what is happening, um, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll just pivot this right over to the Netflix, um, to the, the New York times articles all about this Disney Fox. So one of them, they were saying Netflix has recently shifted its focus to creating original content, including scripted dramas, documentary, children's programming, and movies. They made eight original movies in 2017. They plan to make 80, 80 next year. I think that's a huge example of, okay, Netflix has said it's want to do original content, but note what original content they invest in. They're not investing in live sports. They're not investing necessarily in, in all sorts of things. They, they love dramas. They love children's programmings. And now they think movies is the future. And so they're going to invest really heavily in movies. That's why they're putting out a Will Smith movie, you know, kind of men in black, but we don't call it that. I guess uh, it's, it's, a, it's a much smaller gamble to invest in, in a movie or a TV series than it is to like – it's a much more long-term commitment to like let's start a sports league. Right? I, I agree, but I also think it says a lot about you know streaming – understands I can get these kind of people that do these sort of things. But it also says, hey, maybe other kinds of streaming doesn't work. You know, maybe there is a limit to MLB and ESPN Plus and all these other services that are coming out of Flow Slam, Flow Sports. Uh, and that's not going to be the way people want to consume their content on that. So uh, it, to me, it's it's not the story of media is moving here. It's certain types of content have found really good homes on certain types of streaming platforms. And I don't always know if everything can keep moving because, yeah, Amazon might have invested in tennis rights in the UK for ATP. But also I think they they plan to sell a lot of tennis rackets because of that. I really do. And uh, Amazon might have invested on cricket rights in India. But I think that's because they understand that cricket's the only sport that seems to be making a ton of money in India and has an enormous uh, media conglomeration. And if Amazon wants to make a big splash, that's a great way to do it. However, I don't think wrestling is going to make that kind of a splash. And so I don't think Amazon has an interest in it for those marketplaces or for those reasons. And so it doesn't make sense for them to invest in wrestling. And so I'm just fascinated with it. And I don't disagree with you that streaming is growing, streaming is changing. But I think it's really intriguing to me what niches are working well and also which niches are failing miserably. Amazon has created a ton of original drama programming. You know, and people don't watch that Billy Bob show air and tons of other things. Hulu in, is invested in a lot of original programming, and a lot of those shows are not being watched, though Handmaid's Tale was a huge hit this year. So 
I, I think it's it's fascinating to me, um, kind of the changes there. And Apple, you know, throwing out that they want to spend a billion on original content, how they're going to distribute it is a huge question mark. Are we going to start watching Apple programming on on NBC for all we know, or through I guess Apple TV, or they have everybody they have half the world on their operating system on their smartphones. Yeah, but then what platform, what app do they use? And right. now they're playing the game. You know, once you get in the game, you know, Roku is really specific about where they're living in this this delivery system, right? That they they don't want to necessarily always infringe on a Netflix. They want to be the pathway to the Netflix. Yeah. And so as soon as you start playing that role of I'm doing this and I'm doing that, you can you can really get a lot of enemies very quickly in this business. Amazon just spent $200 million for TV uh, rights for the Lord of the Rings. And, you know, that's another good example to me where I could say, okay, I kind of get why they're going there and they want to do that. But I, at the same time, I don't see them necessarily going in that same direction for something else. Maybe they're beginning to tap out on some of their willingness to spend in the $200, $300 million range. They've kind of out of those opportunities. They'd rather do a lot more of these $1 million, $2 million, $5 million gambles. Um, Disney and Fox, Fox, uh, selling $52.4 billion deal, 21st century Fox, um, to Disney, big bet on streaming Fox news, Fox network, Fox sports one, Fox sports two, big 10 network. They are not included in the deal. Um, meanwhile, Disney of course has that big ESPN plus streaming service that they want to start in spring of 2018. And then they have the unnamed Marvel Pixar Lucasfilm Disney service that they want to start in uh, late 2019. And uh, Disney is buying Hulu's uh, the Hulu share that Fox owns, the Fox Television Studio, which includes things like Simpsons and Homeland and This Is Us and Modern Family, um, the FS Network and Nat Geo, and then they're going to get some stakes in Sky in the UK and Star in India, uh, which helps kind of Disney's international appeal um, because it, this is of course a very U.S. focused deal. Otherwise, um, obviously, just some big, you know, big big pieces to this deal being just the conglomeration of Marvel, Pixar, uh, Lucasfilm, Disney, and the fact that they basically are trying to get all their content away from other streaming services like Netflix. Though there are examples where, you know, like they brought up the People versus O.J. Simpson, um, that is still on Netflix because those rights got tied down by Netflix. Meanwhile, things like 30 Rock jumped off Netflix and moved to Hulu when Hulu made a play for it. So we are seeing sometimes some of these assets moving around. We're seeing some of these streaming services try to lock down certain entities that they think are valuable to them. Um, but we know that that you know Disney is really pushing hard. And I got to admit, now that I'm hearing all the things that Disney wants to put onto their one streaming service come 2019, I'm really tempted to sign up for that service. And what are they going to have on there? Uh, Marvel, Pixar lucasfilm disney stuff you know we don't know exactly what but you know i think it would be kind of neat to have all of that in one place those are all things those are all brands that have uh pretty high q scores and pretty uh strong affinity they're gonna put sports on there too espn well espn plus will be a separate service that that will be a separate streaming service that they're doing and one and so one of the big questions the new york times had a great article called why did disney expand its sports kingdom without a favor networks and they point out that they acquired 22 regional sports networks from 21st Century Fox valued at $20 billion. But it's unclear how much ESPN will gain to the broadcast rights for 44 professional teams in those local markets as each regional network has a series of complicated contracts with the teams and paid television distributors place limits on what the owners of those networks can exploit those rights. These contracts make it especially difficult for anyone who does not have a cable subscription to buy access to the content. 
And essentially, they would have to renegotiate all of those contracts. So when we say regional sports networks, we mean things like Fox Sports Southwest or Fox Sports Arizona or Fox Sports Midwest. Um, Fox Sports Southwest is a 20-year deal worth $3 billion with the Rangers. Yet things like when the the Spurs and the Mavericks play on that, they've lost double digits, like 30, 40 percent growth on um, uh, negative growth this year on viewership. Uh, Arizona has a 15 year deal and it's with the Diamondbacks worth one and a half billion dollars. Um, so it, the Yes Network is part of this whole deal, you know, it, it, with the Yankees. There's a lot of stuff that they're tying themselves up to. But the problem is that they're only good for cable channels. You can't just put them on ESPN plus unless you go and renegotiate all those contracts. And that sounds like exactly what Disney is going to set out to do now is to go to all those people and say, well, how much would it cost for me to start putting this content on another platform? Um, so that's a lot of money you're spending. And so the, why would they do it? Well, um, the quote in the article, which was really good, it said, regional sports networks have found that the most loyal fans have been willing to pay the cable costs associated with keeping access to local games. And for instance, um, a Nielsen study in 2016 found that regional sports networks in certain markets like Detroit or St. Louis were more important to the viewers than ESPN or HBO. So basically arguing that some people care so much about their home team that they're willing to pay those extra fees to get access to that content. And that, you know, that that's a great way of wedging loyalty with uh, those viewers and getting really, really sticky viewers. You could almost say you're super serving those viewers by providing them. And it's a WWE philosophy, right? Why would you do this? Because it's a way of finding fans that are super fans of something and are willing to pay money just to keep access to it. Um, I think it's, it's fascinating here that they, they – basically say an additional source of content games from the regional networks could eventually appear in the services if the contracts can be amended and fees can be agreed upon reducing the network's reliance on cable on local markets while ESPN has shrunk from to 88 million from 100 million just in 2010 so uh, a lot of a lot of really good points in this article in my mind that just says um, why are they going it they believe that there's some value in regional sports networks and trying to reconfigure that and that's very localized content. You know, that's you could almost argue that's the Sinclair model or the uh, other you know people where they've said, how can we make local news work if we if we get a whole series of local news channels, we can somehow create a network of content where then it makes it valuable to us because people always want local news in some form. How, um, how do you see this affecting wrestling? I think it's fascinating. I think um, the people have been arguing that in the future wrestling is going to go towards uh, Disney, you know, that that a, a major media conglomeration, be it NBCU, be it Comcast, um, or be it someone more like a, a Disney is going to buy the assets or the ownership or the control or a majority stake or a minority stake in WWE. I think that's um, possible, more and more possible as we go along with this. I think it shows that the old media giants, namely Disney, are the ones that are making investments in sports and live sports entertainment more than, say, even the streaming services. When I say streaming services, the YouTube, the Netflix, the Amazon, the Apple. Um, and so I see more of it as your bigger players are these traditional players that we're talking about rather than the new wave players. Um, I think it says a lot about the willingness to spend billions and billions of dollars in this climate and this deal, even though there has been other deals, mega mergers that have been hit. Um, I think it, it says a lot about uh, what Fox sports might want to do in the future here. And it, it, it does change the climate for Fox sports, both with or without UFC uh, in terms of what, what they decided to keep. And also just the change of Murdoch's 
philosophy on what he wants to hold on to and what he wants to get rid of. And I think it's really interesting to see Disney continuing to double down on getting sports networks. And like they say here, $20 billion of this $52.4 billion deal is basically for regional sports networks, which is not necessarily the area that you would have necessarily carved out and said, this is the important thing for Disney to get into right now, right? So I, I think it's fascinating to see um, what a big player is going to make Disney. I think a lot of people expected consolidation, but they didn't expect this studio to be the one that consolidated. They saw very different deals coming down the pike. Um, and it'll be curious to see how an NBCU or something wants to react to this. They were saying that most likely Disney is making offers to NBC to buy their stake in Hulu. And NBC is probably or, – or Comcast or, or Universal, whatever you want to call them, is resisting. They're, they're probably not interested in trying to give up their stake in that service right now. Um, so maybe Vince McMahon will sell all but 5% or whatever the minimum is that he needs to keep to maintain controlling interest in WWE. Maybe he'll, he'll sell all that stock off to Disney or Comcast, and he'll have made friends with, with those companies, and then they can, he can use their streaming services to broadcast his year FL and uh, go out and just have, let that be his retirement home, and then WWE can be its own thing under Paul. I mean, that's something I've said before is that I think Flow Sports' long-term play is get ESPN to buy you. Um, because, hey, if you're a service like ESPN+, Plus, you're stopped from being able to use the same content you use on cable on your streaming service. What better play than just go out and buy a service that has a ton of content, localized content, regional content, sports teams, a huge library, the rights to, to have all that, and a backbone that somewhat works with it, and then load it onto BAM, something else that they've invested heavily, heavily in. And hey, what do you know? BAM is also the service that operates the WWE Network. So I, I see um, I, as, as silly as Flow Slam has been in their lawsuit with WWN, and by that I mean uh, they recently filed some paperwork suggesting that they didn't mean to file some other paperwork unredacted. <laughs> so, you know, we got all those uh, streaming numbers from Evolve and the contract from Flow Sports and WWN. I don't think they meant to file those. I think they meant to file those as sealed documents. File what documents? Both of those, the emails and the contract agreement themselves. The ones that were the exhibits that we looked at in that lawsuit, I think they meant to file those as, as sealed exhibits that would not be publicly available. So everything that we got those numbers from. We, we, got, we got emails which were from WN to, to Flow Sports with a table of numbers. They didn't mean to, yes. to, you think they, don't, they didn't mean to... I don't allow those to be so publicly accessible. Yeah, the same way where if you look at the Bagwell Levy lawsuit, if you look at the CT lawsuit, you won't find a copy of Vince McMahon's uh, deposition. You in whole, it will be filed under seal, which says we believe that there's there's confidential information in here, trade secrets or other things that we don't want publicly out. Does so it, we're filing it, it so that a, a person or entity to to keep a document sealed. You Why have to go be just sealed. Well, because you have to go before the judge and, and prove that there's a, uh, a compelling interest for you to do this, that that it's in the public – it's in the interest that your interests outweigh the public's right to have access to information. Okay. And so the judge has to make a determination that, yes, there's a reason that we would do that. And there's you know there's case law that basically says what is an appropriate thing to seal. And in the, fa in the past, what WWE has even been hit with, I think it was in the CTE lawsuit, was the judge came back and said, we do not think it's appropriate for you to seal this. We think it's appropriate for you to redact this because you can make the same argument and and file 99% of the stuff and just redact the stuff that you don't want publicly there versus seal the whole thing and not let anybody see at all the document. 
And so uh, what, what had happened is that they had filed their lawsuit, and one part of that lawsuit included a copy of that contract, which said, here's how much we're paying you, and, and here's you know the terms of our contract, even though it was missing a page, as, as David Bixon's fan has pointed out, or maybe more than one page. Yeah. Um, what, what's interesting about that is that there's a that is possible based on what they filed that in fact they didn't mean to <laughs> file it publicly because they're, they're filing all this stuff about wanting to seal documents and they seem to be referring to the documents earlier being under seal so it's a good thing we got a copy of them when we did and we've seen this happen in other lawsuits where something will be filed and then later on someone will come back and say i think that should have been sealed and then they will go ahead and seal it and then you can't get access to it again after that um, I think you can, in theory, make a request to the court to unseal something if you think that there's a reason for it. But again, that gets you involved in the law process, and that, that can be uh, time-consuming, costly, and difficult. And I guess there's no issue with keeping a document that is then taken taken away from the public record? As far as I know, if it was released publicly and it's out there, uh, it, it got entered into the public record. And just because a company doesn't want it there, well, hey – you know, is 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 uh, government cables that get leaked? Are they? Is it illegal for us to ha- to publicize that cable? No. But do they want it there? No. You know, it's it's like other information. I think you would argue if there's a compelling interest publicly to understand it. I think if it was, you know, a, a personal health record or something of that nature, there might be a very different take on it. That it would be a HIPAA thing. You know that in some way it, it's you know it, it's personal violation of their their privacy is very different than say a public record uh, a public document yeah. about a contract. So personal identifiable information. Yeah, I, I could understand that. Um, I'm sure there's some law that says there are certain forms of information where you know same deal where all social security numbers are supposed to be scrubbed off these filings, yeah. and yet I find social security numbers all the time, all the time. On especially old contracts and things like that, and whenever I'm trying to post them, I try to be, I try to be very diligent about doing something about not being stupid. At the same time, it's not my fault that the the document was filed that way, and it's up to the lawyers themselves who are the ones that were supposed to be scrubbing it in the court too. And so uh, I, I don't want to ever get in that situation where I'm, you know. Someone's identity is getting hacked because I published something. You don't want to be tweeting screenshots of documents that contain social security numbers and home addresses, right? Yeah. Well, social security numbers, no. Home addresses, I'm I'm in the fence about because at a certain point, phone numbers, emails, home – like we're getting really specific. Those are are facts about someone that oftentimes are public record versus things like a social security number, which definitely is not a public record. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, is a PHI that is definitely protected. And no, I'm not trying to uh, uh, necessarily publicize things. But like when people get upset that you know a trademark filing has someone's address in it, that's public record, man. You decided to to include that address in that public record there. And I don't think it's great to say, hey, everybody, let's go to this person's house. <laughs> but I think I don't think it's wrong that you should have to redact it because it's you know it it's the way it's going to show up on thousands and thousands of websites or, because or you street view this guy's house. Yeah, like that would be inappropriate to me. But if you choose to file a trademark and you don't decide to use a firm or a lawyer or an address that's a P.O. box, that's your decision to do that. And uh, I, I don't think that it's it's an invasion of your privacy for me to quote that trademark filing and not spend the time scrubbing it out. Because I try as little as I can to edit the information that I'm sharing with people. 
the the most editing I will do most of the time is if if a paragraph goes over two pages on a filing, oftentimes I'll just kind of use cut and paste to bring it all together. So if you ever compare a filing to maybe what I tweet out, occasionally you'll catch that I've, I've edited it, but most likely it's just me moving paragraphs to be next to each other and not with a page break in between. So this Fox Disney deal, what are your take on it? Do you think that there's um, some interesting implications for WWE or wrestling as a whole? I, I can't tell you based on what little I know about it and how, how, I don't know how vaguely it could, it could affect wrestling. It could not, I have no idea. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. I think it's a big deal. And I think it, we wouldn't be doing a service to ourselves as WrestleNomics radio if we didn't talk about it, because I do think the transformation of media, media conglomeration and all these other subjects, especially when it comes to streaming rights and sports rights are subjects that we peripherally touch on. But I agree with you. I struggle to wrap my head around all the implications of this deal. Uh, much in the same way net neutrality came up this this week in a huge way and you know yeah, like these uh, are before we go to net neutrality i guess these are like venues where wrestling may live someday and it may be a really big deal but i it, it's we're uh, the 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 time where that could happen is so far over the horizon i can't i can't uh, speculate meaningfully that much well and i like to say that's the difference between me as an amateur podcaster and me as a professional media analyst is that I do think it is your job as an investment advisor or analyst to understand and, and really think about these deals all day. That's not my job all day. I, I, I do you know commercial excellence for a, uh, a medical device company. You know that's, I am not a media analyst all day. Uh, and so if I do ever decide to quit my job and start over again, maybe that will be something I'll be more more versed on and more educated on. Something. So this week, um, Aji Pai led the FCC in a vote. That struck down some of the rules that were recently imposed on uh, what was known as net neutrality. And a lot of people asking questions, um, wrestling, well, they've got a WWE network. Does it affect WWE? Is WWE positively or negatively um, inclination towards one of these directions of whether they'd prefer there to be net neutrality or not be net neutrality? And the only uh, claim to this I've ever seen, and again, if you're an investor – what a great question for you to ask WWE on the next call. Yeah. Um, would be uh, Linda McMahon at the January 24th, 2017 SBA hearing, her confirmation hearing. Um, she was asked about net neutrality. Um, I want to say it was Ed Markley, Markey, something like that, congressman, who asked him. And uh, Linda just responded, I have not dealt with net neutrality in any of the businesses I've been involved with. And some people really jumped on that and said, well, what the hell? What about the WWE Network? Well, Linda did not work for WWE when the WWE Network was announced. Um, Linda McMahon, let's see if I can find a year that she – 2009 is when she last worked with WWE. And so, yes, they did work on things that became the WWE Network as late as 2009. Um, And at the time, again, it was thought much more as a cable network than it was as an online network. That was kind of a last-minute thing. Um, they've obviously had WWE.com and internet streaming when, as a when thing. When did 24-7 and Classics on Demand start? Uh, I want to say 2007 or so. So um, there's that. Yeah, but that was a cable thing. Oh, was that it? wasn't – yeah, that was a cable. It, you're right. It, it was also a little bit of WWE online. Um, and you still have a W.com going back. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I say it's, it's, it's silly to pretend her business never dealt with the internet. Because, of course, her business dealt with the internet. Internet pay-per-views were a thing starting in the early 2000s onwards that WWE made money off of. However, I can also see Linda McMahon in her role 
in the WWE that that was never her role. Linda McMahon was never the head of digital media for WWE. Shane McMahon should never be allowed to make that claim because he was the head of, of digital for WWE years and years ago and, and international and other things. So I, I could see other members of the McMahon family saying, yeah, this was an issue that I talked about a lot. But to be honest, in the early 2000s, do I think that Linda McMahon spent much time thinking about what would eventually become known as net neutrality? No, I don't. And and I, I do think at the same time, do I think Vince McMahon spent a lot of time thinking about it? No. I think people that work for Vince McMahon better spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, and also, I think it's really easy for Linda McMahon just to say, I don't know anything about it. I don't want to say anything because, of course, she's caught between two places there because there are some businesses that think this is a good thing for them. And there are some businesses that think this is a bad thing for them. And it doesn't always uh, break down on the lines of are you a telecommunications giant or not or are you a big Internet company or not? You know, Google's on one side and, and NBCU's on another side and, and so forth and so on. So. Um, it's really hard to say how WWE, with ostensibly Republican-leaning interests by the fact that Linda works for this uh, administration and Vince McMahon and ran as a Republican many times, and Vince McMahon is good friends with Donald Trump and has kind of made his more libertarian or capitalistic instincts known, it's hard to say which direction it would go. I would say whatever WWE thinks would benefit them the most or – whatever they could complain about the most if they feel it's not benefiting them. Yeah. I, mean, I guess if, if, if net neutrality really ends, I know there's probably, probably going to be some lawsuits that are going to try to stop it, right? At least in some states. But if it, if it really ends up uh, happening and it, it ends up that you know, companies with the most money are most able to pay the internet service providers for the, the best access to the internet, then you're going to have a situation where at least within wrestling, where I guess maybe WWE is able to pay the internet service providers for access to the internet and to have the best speed, and, and then so it's going to be really hard for. I don't think they'd pay for it, but I do think that the fact that BAM is their provider and Disney's so big on it, I could see BAM kind of getting a good deal for it all. Okay. I, I just don't think so. Fewer the companies, the... not just anybody who can afford it. Yeah, no, I agree with you that it's fewer companies, but I, you know, if Hulu's at 12 million, WWE's at 1.5 million, mm -hmm. you know, WWE's one tenth the size of Hulu. And the question is, would Hulu want to be paying for this extra fees? Um, at knowing that they're already a money loser for the, the companies that are doing it. Uh, WWE Network at least is profitable, but I, I think it would cut in heavily to their profit if they started to have to pay these extra fees. Yeah, I guess it depends on how much they would have to pay. Um, I, I could certainly foresee, you know, WWE being able to to pay a price that's affordable for them, but is not affordable for New Japan or Powerbomb or oh yeah. Like that. But I, I honestly don't think we're going to get to a point where some people are relegated to such slow lanes that they're incapable of being used. I really don't think it's going to be like that. Um, I do think that you know you could have a weird situation where Trump's because not, I'm going to flip the, the switch and turn off NJPW World. No, no, Ted Stevens stopped that when when he figured out the, which pipe goes to where. Um, but what what I do think might happen is, you know, you could see a situation where I'm on Comcast and NBCU has a deal with WWE. So I get WWE networking great speed. In fact, Whereas, you're having trouble with your internet today, which is why you're talking I am, to I am, your I, phone. I'm talking too much about uh, uh, the, uh, as praising ABC and Fox too much that uh, they started slowing me down. They're, they're listening to you. Yeah, uh, you don't have an Amazon Alexa yet, do you? You don't have one of these home devices. 
I got a, I have a Google, um, I have little Google pucks that help me get internet, but not that do Google home. You don't have a device with like seven microphones listening to you like I do. No, no, no. Just, uh, just a bunch of smartphones. It's actually been unplugged for quite a while. But... Yeah. Uh, good, good time for us to do two things. Number one, give a little viewer feedback on things that they've said about the show. And uh, number two, uh, plug all our patrons. Um, the first one I want to say on viewer feedback, uh, we got some great feedback from, uh, one of our listeners, Jason, who said, uh, something to the effect of, God damn it. Uh, you're making my Alexa go crazy on the episode where you and I just began asking, uh, Alexa various questions. Yeah. That's, that's and the he Omega Jericho episode. That is our most listened to episode. Yeah. Where we just left it, uh, we left, we, Apparently he was listening, uh, you know, on speakers or something, and his Alexa started going crazy while he tried to listen to the show. Um, and the other one is we've had multiple people tell us that we are excellent sleeping material. <laughs> that when they want to uh, take a nap, when they want really? to uh, people, relax, I, I haven't read that feedback. Where's that feedback? I uh, maybe I get it directly. Maybe oh, is how it is. Oh. But yeah, I've had I've had two or three people tell me that they put on WrestleNomics Radio when they want to go to bed at night because they find our voices soothing or perhaps our subject matter boring. Um, yeah, I, I can so see that. I could definitely see that, but I was very amused that, 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 that more than one person gave me the feedback of they enjoy what I talk about so that it helps them go to sleep at night, which just made me laugh. Um, OTT services, carriage fees and bundles, the WWE network. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing we do do is do do, uh, is, we have a Patreon. Uh, this week, you'll notice that we are not sponsored by anybody. We hope to get some new sponsorships coming into 2018. And if you are the owner of a brand, product, topic, idea, you know, maybe you want us to promote the the color purple. We'll do that. Um, you can always contact us at wrestlenomics at gmail.com. And the show's not over. Don't don't get me wrong here. We got a lot more we're going to talk about. But I, I hate, I hate for another hour and a half or something. I hate when we put all the plugs in at the end, like the people aren't important to us. I want to put them in the middle because they're very, they're, they're the sandwich of what we do here. Uh, and, you know, I was thinking about what we do on our Patreon account, P-R-P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Russellnomics. Um, people that recently uh, tried to roll out a fee change and rolled back the fee change based on the enormous uh, negative response that they got which uh, I appreciated hearing that they were actually listening to all the people that were all the patrons who were basically going to get hosed on this deal where they were going to come off worse. Um, but uh, we, we, uh, WrestleNomics radio appreciate all our, our patrons here. And we said, we'd give them a, a shout out, you know, at least like once a month. And we've, we've not always been the best at that. So I want to say thank you to Jason, and to John, and to Lucas and to Keith, to Kevin, to Scott, to um, Adam and uh, Kirk D to Lavi to uh, Jacob, to Rick, and to Brian. Uh, all of you have been incredible, incredible sponsors, people that have really helped us. And every week we put out a document where we put all of the the details about what we talked about in the show, links to all the articles, and then sometimes commentary, graphs, pictures. A lot of times uh, Brandon goes a little wild and puts on crazy regressions on graphs that mean nothing, what? but are very colorful and pretty. Uh, and so you can see all of that if you're a patron sponsor, because we, we put out the, the private document to all of you and you get to read it and look at it. And I think it's a great value. Um, honestly, you, even if you don't want to listen to the show, just read the document and you can pretty much synthesize half the show. If you add in the word machinations every couple minutes, um, and that is the show. So we want to thank you to all our, our patrons and we do hope that we can get a couple more patrons. Uh, we've, we've kind of, uh, WWE networked ourselves where we've gotten into a, a flat subscriber growth model recently. 
And uh, I, I would like to believe that we are actually becoming more popular, despite the fact that we were not nominated for any of the podcast awards in the Sheeties this year. Well, though you were for an entire year, so I, I, I consider that. I, I, I completely disagree. I think if one thing I've learned about wrestling awards, it's all about timing, right? Well, you know, you, 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 if you have a great match right that's before what Hall I told of Fame myself voting, to make myself feel better. Yeah, but you were nominated for a Sheedy's Award, uh, at, and this is, of course, at Pro Wrestling Sheet, done by a friend of the show, Les Moore, yeah. um, and uh, he's been on, on hiatus for a, a little while. He's actually just kind of made a, a comeback here, which I'm excited about, because uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet was uh, – some of my friends who don't listen to this show, uh, but listen to other people's shows, that was one of the things that they always kind of um, enjoyed a lot was Pro Wrestling Sheet, just really? kind of the different take on things. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was cool. But um, let me see if I can find the awards nominations. I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm on pro. I'm going to pretend I don't don't know it, but like columnist and writer of the year. You know what? I keep screwing up. It's Sheet Sandwich. Pro Wrestling Sheet is completely separate. That's Ryan oh, Satin's thing. Yes. I, 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 Sheet I, I Sandwich is the one I'm talking about here. Um, official polling for the 2017 the Sheety Awards. Talking Sheet. The awards yes. the Sheety Awards. This website yeah. is Sheet Sandwich. Yes, and um, let me no just uh, Ryan Satin. I think we were even around before processing Sheet, but anyway. Yeah, 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 for sure. So SheetSandwich dot com. You can go there. Official uh, polling awards. Let me just plug the different categories here. I want to be very clear because some of them are also um, awards for people that uh, you know we also know. So best review site includes Voices of Wrestling, and of course we are part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Mm-hmm. PW Torch, PW Ponderings, Fightful. We both write for Fightful, for four one one wrestling or uh, abstain, and I, I have to tell you, abstain does amazing work. Um, best show preview site has uh, Voices of Wrestling, PW Torch, Fightful, Lords of Pain, Cage Side Seats, and Abstain. Again, Abstain nominated in almost every category. Really, uh, really incredible work there. Uh, best breaking news site with Pro Wrestling Sheet, F four W Online. Slash WrestlingObserver.com, but they're just referring to it as F4W. PW Insider, Twitter as a breaking news site, which I think is interesting, and Squared Circle Sirens and Abstain. I think um, Twitter is the reigning champion in that category two years ago. Really interesting. Uh, I would agree with that. You know, almost all of the foot, all of the discussion about this pro wrestling um, football stuff with Vince McMahon, Twitter drove it all. Yeah. Um, best Twitter news should aggregate. Be, Twitter should be paying us um, a cut of the, the advertising revenue, even though Twitter isn't really that successful of a business. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we, I think, if, if Twitter was paying us a percentage of the money that they profit from, then we would owe them a lot of money. <laughs> Same in the way that WWE Network in 2014 when it started, if they were paying royalties fees out to everybody based on profits, they would actually be paying everyone negative money. If, you, if you're uh, a long-term investor in Twitter stock, you're, you're not doing very well. Uh, best news aggregator was Fightful, Twitter, Wrestling Inc., Cageside Seats, 411 Wrestling. Uh, I, I, best, I believe our written home Fightful won last year. Okay. Best opinion commentary analysis site uh, was Voices of Wrestling, PW Torch, Wrestling Observer, Fightful, 411 Wrestling, and Abstain. And I would love to actually quiz less about when he's using the term Wrestling Observer and when he's using the term F4W Online. Because I feel like he's he's distinct enough that he has a reason why he uses one versus the other in different categories. He's, he's trying to separate the uh, the free website coverage versus, I guess it's on the web still, but but versus what's actually in the Observer written by the yeah. answer. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, best News Reporter. Uh, nominations include uh, Dave Meltzer, Sean Rob Sapp, 
uh, Ryan Satin, David Bixenspan, Mike Johnson, and Abstain. So Meltzer, of course, Wrestling Observer, Sean Rassap works for Fightful. Um, Ryan Satin from Pro Wrestling Sheet, David Bixenspan writing for Deadspin, writing for um, Fightful now, um, possibly some other sites. He 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 might have the most writing credits of any wrestler. <laughs> I, think, I think most of Bix's wrestling written work is Fightful and Deadspin. Yeah, Deadspin specifically is has been a lot of his bigger things, though uh, some of the WWN uh, he coverage. Like a, he does like a weekly column for Deadspin at, the, at this point, doesn't he? That's about yeah. a weekly rate, I think. And Mike Johnson on um, – he's a torch guy, right? No, that's PW Insider. A PW Insider. I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Johnson. Shows you – shows... The torch is, is your, your neighbor, Wade Keller. Yes, it is Wade, but but also Bruce Mitchell and, and some other. Yeah, but Bruce is a columnist more than a yeah. news reporter. Well, good good segue. Next uh, category is best columnist for Dave Meltzer, Bruce Mitchell, J.R. Goldberg, Brandon Howard, The Lady J, and Abstain. So Meltzer, of course, of Wrestling Observer, Mitchell of, uh, as we said, of The Torch, J.R. Goldberg. Um, what is his site he writes for? We voiced it. Yes, he is a author at Voices of Wrestling. Um, uh, Brandon Howard, uh, he can be found on Fightful, the the written work anyway. On Fightful, yes, and uh, the Lady J, I'm guessing, is Squared Circle Sirens, maybe. She has a a blog, it looks like, uh, and she's she's a podcaster of Facelock Feministas that I, that I listen to from time to time. They do a lot of indie wrestling reviews, and she has a lady. The Lady J says blog. I see that. Yes. So I was wrong. Not squared circle sirens. No, no connection whatsoever. Um, best reviewer, uh, Larry Zonka, Zonka with a C, uh, Brandon Stroud, uh, Joe Lanza, Wade Keller, Dave Meltzer and Abstain. So, uh, Larry, I think he's a four one one wrestling. Yep. Four one one mania. Uh, Do Brandon Stroud. Columns? Do I write columns though? Like I, I always think of columns as like the thing in the, the newspaper. It's just an opinion. I write a few columns from now and now, now and then, but a lot of the stuff I write is like a bunch of graphs and explaining, just sort of getting into detail that we can get to based on information that we have that no one else has gotten to yet. I think I think they consider that columns because that's analysis. Sure. That is that is right. distilling information versus news reporting. Is so analysis the re- a column? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Because the writer reviews only are for best reviewer, best columnist, and best news reporter. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, what I wrote for Fightful this past week here was about the Bagwell Levy uh, piece. And I basically reiterated the points I made on Twitter. With you wrote absolutely for Fightful recently? I did. Yeah, I this know. past week here. Yeah, oh yeah. So um, an exclusive on Fightful that you oh. can check out. It's all about the Bagwell Levy thing. It's Ooh, pretty much the right story now. that I – yeah. Well, it's, it's linked in the document too. Um and so I just basically stated the facts and then I ended it. I, I added almost no commentary about, you know, uh, why this might happen. Is this good? Is this bad? How do I feel about it? And I feel like that's sometimes the difference between news reporting and columnist versus if I said this is a really important thing for these reasons. And I feel that WWE is is uh, taking this strategy because they're going to pursue this. A lot of what I said about the football, URFL. I could easily write a news piece on that where I just say, here's the dates that certain events happened. Or I could write a column on it where I say, this is why I think this is a big deal. This is not a big deal. This is why I think this is going to uh, evolve in this way. Uh, and so it's a it's a thin line sometimes between being a news reporter and being a commenter on the news. And um, I find on Twitter, I try and be a lot more of a 
news reporter. And on the show, I try to be a lot more of a commenter. And so sometimes I kind of wish I could just dis- like transcribe what I'd say on the show and turn it into columns because I usually write probably a 3,000-word column in my head probably expertaneously. So, so. There, there you go if you're a, uh, a copy and paste, paste news reporter out there or news columnist or if you want to create some fake pen name and just transcribe the things that Mookie says and claim it as your own, especially if you're just going to put it into a wrestling newsletter where you apparently don't need to, to credit anyone anyway. And that, that's not true at all, Dave Meltzer. On today's Observer, credits me directly on the trademark stuff for the URFL. So I appreciated that, and 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 he and I actually traded some emails on it. So okay. uh, I, I will reveal that Dave, in fact, said to me, "quote I'm going to make some calls on this." So he'll be using a, a landline of some sort to interview people. Um, best reviewer: Larry, uh, Brendan Stroud, um, Joe Lanza, Wade Keller, Dave Meltzer. Uh, Brendan, I think is is he with Spandex? Is that the guy? Yeah, yeah, Aprox, Aprox, yeah. And Uprox, and then Joe Lanza from the Voices of the Network flagship podcast. Yes, they are the Voices of the Network. Uh, then we have podcast awards. Uh, best host, Jack Encarnacio. Thank you. From the Laps Fan Podcast, uh, John Pollock from what was The Law. The Law, right? Yep. And uh, until it got, got axed recently, and they are going to re- relaunch it into something. Have they relaunched it yet? I don't know. They might still be doing review a why, right? Because that's what they're. That's right. Um, uh, Chris Zellner, uh, one half of the show with David Bixenspan for Between the Sheets, uh, one of one of uh, the most informative shows that you can listen to. Wade Keller, of course, of PW Torch, and Conrad Thompson, the host of many different uh, podcasts, including, uh, of course, uh, the Bruce Mitchell Show. Not Bruce Mitchell. I'm sorry. The uh, what am I thinking of here? Brother Love. Bruce Pritchard show. Thank you. And also the Tony Schiavone show and some other things. Uh, best co-host, uh, JP Sario. Uh, I think it's meant to be whiting, right? Not waiting. 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 I think it's a play on words. I don't know. No, but, oh, you think so? You don't think it's supposed to be, isn't why ting the, uh, John Pollock's. Yeah. That's his partner. Yes. But, but it's being spelled here as waiting with a T on the end of the word. We, I think they misspelled his name is what I'm trying to get at. I would have to look yeah. at this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Hawkins, uh, a, uh, a good friend of the show. Um, let's see. What shows are, is he hosting? He has the Fightful one he does. He, he does and, um, post SmackDown on Fightful, and he does obviously shape the ropes on this network. There we go. Anna, and I'm going to butcher her name, Bowert. You got it. She does the post SmackDown with Jeff and Sean. Yeah. And uh, Mike Sempervivi, who uh, hosts uh, F4W daily over live yeah wl all the time uh podcast network uh mlw voices of wrestling podcast one pwo dash ptbn which i didn't realize pwo was not part of them place to be network and also pwo pro wrestling only Uh, live audio wrestling um uh best retro podcast laps fan between the sheets something to wrestle with bruce pritchard review away and what happened when uh, that's a really stacked category, actually. Those are all really good podcasts uh, for what they do. Uh, best show review podcast, Fightful Post Show, Review a Raw, Review a SmackDown, um, PTMB Reaction Show, Place to Be Network, The Fix with Todd Martin, Face Lock Feministas, uh, Best News Podcast, you have Wrestling Observer Radio, F- uh, VOW Flagship, The Shake Them Ropes, Wade Keller Hotline, PW Ponderings Newscast, and the Best Interview Podcast. You have Art of Wrestling, Talk is Jericho, Steve Austin Show, Wrestling Omakase, 
Mm-hmm. That's on the Voices of Wrestling Network. It sure is. And the 605 Super Podcast, which uh, entertainingly sometimes puts out videos where they sync up what Jim Cornette is talking about with the video, with the podcast itself. And Jim Cornette tells great stories about, you know, uh, jobbers getting beat up by somebody and what was happening backstage, why that happened, which I, I enjoy a lot. Um, goodness, a couple more awards. I did not realize we we're going to go this deep, <laughs> but I kind of, I kind of started and I, I can't stop here. It's only fair if I do this all major coverage, uh, writer of the year, Dave Meltzer, David Bixon's band, Bruce Mitchell, Justin Basario, Barasio, which uh, might be listening Barasso, next year. I think that's Barasso. The Remember the a goaltender on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he's also the Sports Illustrated Extra Mustard guy. Uh, Brandon Howard, so you're also nominated for Writer of the Year. Uh, for Story of the Year, The Death of Bobby Heenan, The Ric Flair Health Scare, The Flow Slam Implosion, The WWN Feud, The Page Drama Saga, and Mauro Ranallo being bullied. Um, Side of the Year, Fightful, Voices of Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Sheet, F4W Online, PW Torch, PW Insider, and then the podcast of the year, The Lapsed Fan, The Wrestling Observer Radio, The Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, The Wade Keller Wrestling Show, VOW Flagship, and Between the Sheets. Um, you know, a couple podcasts on here that I, I see missing. Uh, like, you know, you don't see Art of Wrestling on here. You don't see necessarily um, the Tony Schiavone show. You don't see um, – I guess Talk is Jericho only got the one nomination, and the Steve Austin show only got the one nomination. I just listened to the whole Steve Austin with um, uh, Carl's with Anderson and Gallows. That was a pretty entertaining show. Um, you know, I a couple. Think, I couple, think for the audience that's doing the nominations here, the wrestler podcasts have have kind of run their course. Yeah, Edge and like Christian show another one. Audience. Yeah, yeah. I, I just mean it's. it's surprising to me jr's got a podcast you know there's a lot of people out there that have have and in I my opinion like those here i gotta tell you it's like i don't feel like those podcasts conan mlw network i think those podcasts they don't really feel independent they feel like but why does people, it have to be independent it, i guess it doesn't but i think that the audience who does these do, do the nominations here and probably end up doing the voting care about that i feel like this is a lot of inside baseball for sure I think 99% of these names mean nothing to people unless they are Dave Meltzer. And to a lesser degree, Ryan Satin has actually got his name out there quite a lot. And Bix and Wade Keller. You're saying no one cares about me, are you? I'm saying if I were to go to Reddit and mention most of these names, I think a lot of them would be left with quizzical faces. Yeah. You know, um, uh, that said, you know, I, I – I will w- say I wish WrestleNomics had been nominated for at least one of these um, categories. I think it is a challenge to say where we fit in uh, for some of these podcast awards. You know, we, I thought we had a really good interview with Dave Lagana. I thought we had a really good interview with Evan Sims, uh, mm-hmm. but we don't do them a lot, and that's intentional. Is that you know, I no offense to anybody, I turn down you know people that sometimes say, "Hey, can I come on your show and, and talk about this?" And I just say, you know, we 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 kind of have a thing going. And I like if you're an expert in something, I can really quiz your mind and dig into it. But I'm not big into just having interviews to have interviews. Um, we should do a we should do a, a another podcast where you just interview people. It's it's been discussed that that you know you would take your your pile of money and uh, do a lot more of those. You know, honest to God, every time we have technical difficulties, I contemplate never talking about wrestling again in my life. Like. When we started the show and then then we had to switch mediums here, I thought for a second maybe the whole first hour of the show was gone. 
No, no. And I was just like, I'm going to go in a cave. I'm done. <laughs> no. Because I've done a couple long, long podcasts that have been lost forever, and really? nothing makes me sadder. Like, I did a great one on Is WWE Monopoly once, really? uh, and that's gone forever. Uh, I once recorded a fabulous Moolah biography that was not very good, but I recorded it no less than probably six times at like 20 minutes apiece, and I, I almost lost my brain. Cause <laughs> I, uh, so there's there's lots of times that it's – but uh, for what podcast we I would have loved to strive for in the future, I think podcast of the year for sure. Um, and probably best news podcast because I do feel like the two of us have made an effort not to do show reviews as much as we can and rather to do nor should we be doing show reviews (laughs) yeah and i I would also argue um best podcast network i would hope that we've contributed and mlw is is nominated on that i I would feel that we've contributed to the voices of network uh, voices wrestling (laughs) network uh i think i think we can tell you quantitatively that we have contributed to the voices wrestling network or we just stole chair from other people you never know might have I, just I, driven everybody down. Well, I don't think that's true, though. That's possible, but <laughs> probably not true. But you, you're nominated in two categories here, as as like we said, um, the major, major coverage awards and best columnist, uh, as both writer of the year and as best columnist. Um, what have you done with your winnings in the years past? Um, I have uh, paraded around my my apartment with my my fists raised above my head in victory. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and and um what what awards have you won? Oh, uh the first year they did this I won writer of the year. This and I think that's it. And uh the second year I they so last year I won columnist of the year. I do see that Twitter account is no longer a choice. I, I do recall that one year is like best Twitter oh, yeah. feed. Yeah, they was a category article of the year too. I've had articles nominated. I don't see article of the year as a category. It's too hard to keep up with. I honestly think the only two categories I ever considered was best Twitter feed because I did feel like occasionally I had really good content in my Twitter profile over the year and um, something with WrestleNomics here, just whatever it would be, uh, maybe a most repetitive show. In, in time, the masses will awaken and will realize that they, they need to find out what the truth is and they'll have to listen to WrestleNomics radio and, and I'll find my groove more and more as time goes on and we will – there's always next year. There's always 2018. I, I, I think maybe we because in the past they've they had sometimes more um, uh, silly awards as I recall sometimes they would do like super serious and then they would have kind of sillier awards or something the and so B, I, yeah I, I would I would hope that one of them would be best podcast to go to sleep to yeah. you know yeah. perhaps we could make that work for everybody um, talking about kind of stories of the year here though I think it's interesting that they they you know, the Morrow story and things like that. They said story of the year. They had five death of Bobby Heenan, Ric Flair, health scare, flow slam, implosion, WWN feud, page drama saga, and Morrow bullied. And we talked maybe a little bit about less than half of those. We've talked a lot about the flow slam implosion. Uh, did we talk about Morrow being bullied at all? I don't think we did. did I think uh... we only talked about it from the standpoint of contracts and about liability um, and whether or not a company could, you know, put yourself in a certain situation, like what a hostile working environment. I remember coming up with talking about that a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I did the oral history of stories throughout the years from various podcasts and shoot interviews, which you can even find that on Fightful if you Google probably oral history of JBL, WWE bullying. Yeah. Yeah. You did a big article on it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that got um, a lot of, uh, that, that got shared around a lot. 
and then you and I have talked a little bit about Paige, not so much about the actual Paige drama, but about the fact that she disproportionately shows up on Google searches and indexing on Google searches. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit, like when legal things have come up. I don't know about the arrest, or we've talked a little bit about the Del Rio and Paige a little bit. That's true. Uh, Death of Bobby Heenan barely we touched to, on. We had a really busy week that day. That yeah, and it's. Is unfortunate because he's funny, funny guy, really entertaining guy, and really, really um, monumental personality in wrestling. And then the Ric Flair health scare, which you know is one of those where it, it gets covered a lot, and it seems like Rick comes back from the dead every year after you know being in the depths of. The, but we talked a little bit about his six, his uh, thirty for thirty. That was sixty for sixty or whatever the between, outside the lines or whatever it was called. Yeah, I think uh, it was thirty for thirty. Yeah. yeah, that was really good. Um, I had put out a call. Two people said, what are some of the biggest stories of WrestleMomics Radio for the year on what we talk about? And I thought maybe it would be fun to quickly run through not so much the stories, but just kind of what they were. Uh, the first one being that re- the vision of SuperServe and the implications of that with both launching the UK division, which feels like a lifetime ago, but actually was just January of this year. And running a May Young Classic tournament. So this idea of saying we've learned so much from the Cruiserweight tournament, let's do an all-women's tournament. Um, WWE Network launching in China, something that I did not see happening in 2017. I, I, I said very adamantly I thought it was too hard for them to overcome those hurdles, and uh, they successfully did it. So uh, it has a lower not, price point. Yep. It has not had the impact I think a lot of analysts um, hypothetically had believed it would, but it also led to some incredible talking points like the 100 million people or whatever they said would have an affinity for WWE content in China. In that, uh, I think it was Washington, uh, or the uh, Wash, the this, the Wall Street Journal uh, article. Um, WWE stays above thirty dollars a share for consecutive days. This is a big deal because if you want to talk about wealth creation for WWE, when the share is this high, that's an enormous amount of wealth creation for the WWE executives and motivation for them. Um, and it says something that is not being driven by just you know a single factoid and then bopping down, but rather staying consecutively above $30. I don't think I saw this coming. This is a high for the company. And uh, it's really interesting to see how they, they, they've strengthened themselves, despite the fact that it's not necessarily any new news short of this Facebook story. And the, the, the ascent started before the Facebook story broke. And it looks like things are going to go all right with their TV rights fees in the next round. Yeah, I think we'll talk about that in a second here uh, yeah. when we get to some other analysis and coverage. Uh, WWE raising $200 million in funding. That happened in December of 2016, but it actually hit their PL pretty much at the very end of the year and now in the first beginning of this year. Big difference for them, really having all that cash. Uh, Junior Mahal in India, I think that's a huge story for the year because it was always the question of how would business strategy intersect with wrestling booking? And there's a pretty strong argument that the Jinder Mahal storyline was somewhat driven by business strategy giving way to wrestling booking, right? Yeah, and I think the conclusion was, in this instance, not so well. It, that it's a long-term play, and and the idea that in one year you can make a big difference seems to be uh, uh, kind of debunked. At least uh, not with it, this guy. Yeah, not with this guy. Um, I see that you've added here yourself – uh, at C.C. Onita versus Shane McMahon at WrestleMania 34, uh, referencing a tweet that uh, uh, I think Onita put out, which uh, suggested he would be at WrestleMania, which for all we know means WrestleMania weekend, like a CZW thing or something, invited him. And he's just no, he publicizing. Said, he said WWE invited him. I'm sure he did, but <laughs> there's a reason they call him Mr. Liar. Um, 
but that'd be great. It'd be the perfect, uh, you know, because you need a stadium if you're going to do a big, you know, exploding death match. You need you need an open air stadium, and uh, you think about well, who who's going to do all these stunts with him? Well, obviously Shane McMahon. So yeah. uh, I'm going to start speculating now. That would be my favorite biggest story of 2018 for sure. Yeah. Uh, for New Japan, the New Japan expansion in the U.S. is enormous. Uh, just the fact that it's not a Ring of Honor New Japan expansion, but New Japan themselves taking their claim and uh, making some some inroads. The Omega Okada, uh, Okada raising the awareness worldwide of New Japan with the six star matches. I think you know it would be impossible to not say that Kenny Omega has had a big role in expanding the influence of New Japan outside of Japan. Um, when, when I when I look at similar web numbers, which mean mean maybe something, maybe they don't, but uh, you just see a big difference in the in some of the data I've collected. I try to t- take like the number of uh, visits that similar web says, yeah, number of visits to NJPW World, and you you look at it before Wrestle Kingdom and, and after Wrestle Kingdom, and it's a big difference. Um, and I think you have to get a lot of that credit to to that match getting so much hype, and you just see. I guess this is anecdotal, but you see a lot of people, a lot more people talking about New Japan, a lot more people talking about Kenny Omega, and Kenny Omega is the, the guy who knows Japanese, he knows English. He's really the ideal wrestler to, for New Japan to have at this moment. Um, yeah, well, he's good looking, he's also muscular, he's also athletic, he's also charismatic. You know, he's yeah. all those things that you want to have in yeah. someone. And I, and, think, and I think that match at Wrestle Kingdom, and I know they've had other matches and some people think the other matches are even better than that match. But I think that match um, is kind of a landmark, maybe in the way that I think like Al Snow tries to talk about WrestleMania 3 and Steamboat and Savage being a landmark of how how workers started to think about wrestling. But as my, my point is, I think that It creates match, eras. It creates, it creates chapters, right? That certain times, certain matches you point to and you say, this was the beginning of blank. And you can always say, well, look at this thousand things that came before it. You're like, yeah. yeah, but the first time it was mainstream and top of mind and biggest thing yeah, was the point, here. The point, point I'm trying to make is like often when, when people debate wrestling or, or, the, or the Al Snow comment is about how, you know, what, what draws money in wrestling? Is it great matches, great quality matches don't necessarily draw money in wrestling? I think, that, yeah. Uh, I see where you're going. There's truth to that. But in, in, this was clearly a case where the reason why this match helped New Japan business is because it was a great match because it was and and because of and I think Dave Meltzer has a lot to do with assisting them whether he I'm not saying he that's his plan that's that's his intention well, it's the but, same but way think, he but I think he, he he drove the conversation about triple mania back in the early 90s and and Mexico by by making it a big deal that he talked about all the time I mean I think the, Dave Meltzer giving that match six stars and I know he can say that well he that's not the first time he he quote unquote broke the scale there's some star, five star plus matches that have been written in the Observer as five stars plus, but there's never been a match where he like explicitly reviewed it and then explicitly wrote six stars, and that so everybody could say that it broke the scale. And and regardless of what you think think of Dave and, and his opinions on wrestling, he is very influential, and people do. And I think this is the reason why people people get mad about certain ratings that he has on matches, and people debate about it a lot. Is that his I guess his view he's he's got he's got a a huge catalog of match of star ratings and he's been following wrestling and writing about wrestling for a long time and people consider him something of an authority so it's sort of like the the master taste maker is giving his opinion about this thing and and people what? will get riled up about agreeing or disagreeing with it so my point is having he he, he broke the star rating scale or at least that's that's the perception 
And uh, so this is like, hey, remember, so it sort of tells you as a fan, okay, all these other matches you've seen are, are great, but this one, this one is off the charts. And I think that has a real effect for things like New Japan World subscribers and, and just the, uh, the brand recognition and awareness that New Japan has in English-speaking countries. Well, and you wrote here the intersection of aesthetics and economics, and I think that's a great phrase because there's a big difference between uh, the Chi-Town Rumble where – Right. Flair exactly. and Steamboat rip it up, but you know what was not a financially huge success for WCW, and actually was was kind of disappointing for them in the end. Right. And, um, and but Flair, this, Flair, you could say, this was the headlining uh, elements of happening at New Japan in the biggest show of the year, and was financially successful and drove them to a year where they continued to grow. And Wrestle Kingdom this year is going to be even an even bigger financial event for them, I think in large part because of the the buzz that that match created. But but yeah, like like Flair Steamboat, like I remember growing up as you know, as a tape trader and hearing about these Flair Steamboat matches that I didn't see at the time, and being told that I got to get tapes of it. And uh, the, so you're talking about Chi Town Rumble. That's the first one. The second one is in the Superdome. That's the Clash match, and and you know how big the Superdome is. But I think they had like maybe a few thousand people in the Superdome. You know, so the point is. Great matches, five-star matches, don't necessarily always equate to great business. But this is a, a, a moment, I think, where fan awareness is raising to a point where, like you said, and like I have this note in the, in the doc, where aesthetics, aesthetic quality, aesthetic value, and economic value, at least at times, are intersecting more directly. Cor- you know, I think this would be an excellent article. Opportunity for you, for me? Yeah. yeah, because nice. I think right now you got to work on your candidacy. You know, we're in Golden Globe season, so once be, being nominated is only half the battle, man. Then you have the actual lobbying for the award. So if we want you to win Best Columnist here, we need to get you get some more columns in your your tank. And I think one of them here is that you're very passionate about this idea with the intersection of aesthetics and economics, and to talk about the idea of the difference between a good match that no one sees or does not drive a business up, mm-hmm. and a match where that's the reason it's so special. I need and to, we only I need you to DM me on, on like a daily basis to to be a taskmaster for me, not a Kevin Sullivan taskmaster, <laughs> but a, but a writing taskmaster to make sure I stay on task and write all these things. I mean, I I need to. You're right. I should. Yeah. I've, I've got a couple other things I I should write too that I keep telling myself I should write. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was New Japan. There's tons of New Japan stories, but I think that's a big one. And then Jericho is, I think, a smaller story on this. And since it doesn't hit till next year, it's hard to call that one of the biggest stories of the year. But I think the fact that you do have a former WWE star moving over to New Japan, giving credibility to how important New Japan is at this moment, and again, bringing the spotlight on the rest of the world towards New Japan again. And treating it like a big deal. Point. I think Jericho is a big deal, and Jericho is going to help that event out financially. Uh, but it's an even bigger deal because of the hype that was earned by Omega and Okada from that match last year. Well, the fact he's wrestling Kenny Omega, a guy who two years ago a lot of Jericho fans might have said, who is that guy? And exactly. today have at least a passing idea that this guy's important. Um, TNA, Anthem fully acquiring TNA, TNA rebranding to Impact, uh, then rebranding to GFW, then rebranding to Impact. Uh, just the entire world of, of you know, TNA. I think uh, TNA even resigned with Pop this year, didn't they? Um, kind of make a, a deal to continue on going in with Pop. And just TNA not failing. You know, TNA not collapsing every year seems like one of the biggest stories of the year. Yes, somehow. But, you know, truly, truly being TNA... 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.